Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Brownie Points. I'm Dan. I'm Nick. And this is the podcast where a guy with a film degree and a guy who knows how to work a DVD player talk to you about movies. This week, we stayed home with Netflix and we watched the latest film from trippy director and writer Charlie Kaufman. His film is I'm Thinking of Ending Things. And after that pretentious pile of sh- we go check out 1964's Fistful of Dollars. All that and a little bit of news on this week's episode of Brownie Points. All right, everybody, welcome to the show. It's another week, another episode chock full of news for you guys. Just kidding. It's only just a couple stories that we got for you this week, so we might go a little short. Sorry about that in advance. Uh, <laughs> I mean, how have you been this week, Nick? I feel like we have enough time to just chat, you know? I woke up this morning, and I don't think I've ever been more confused by my alarm. What happened with your alarm? Well, no, it just, it went off. I literally woke up this morning and I was just like, what the hell is that noise? So my alarm, I still use an alarm clock and it hooks up to my phone and it will just play songs that I have saved to my phone. And it was playing some blue, uh, blue song uh, that I have on there that's really, really old. I got it. Uh, I got a compilation CD when we went to the National Blues Museum in St. Louis a couple years ago. You're talking about started... the blues hockey team, right? Not blues the genre. No, blues the genre. Uh, oh, okay. Sorry, I, I just got confused because your favorite hockey team and the music genre share the same name. <laughs> yeah. So it started playing a song off of that, and I just woke up and I was like, "What is that noise?" <laughs> and like, I woke up. Kelsey woke up. We just like looked at each other for like a solid five seconds. Like, I don't know what that is. And then I looked, and it was coming out of my alarm clock. It's like, oh, it's time to get up. That's what that means. <laughs> That's funny. How are you? <laughs> I'm fine. I was listening to a podcast when I fell asleep, and I woke up, and it was five podcasts ahead of that one when I woke up, because you can't make podcasts just stop playing on a timer, or at least I don't know how. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's been a very, very slow week in terms of news for us to talk about. Um, one story that happened right after we taped last week's episode will save or a little bit later, because it ties into a bigger topic to talk about. Uh, first, I'll just go ahead and say that as of this taping, AMC is still open, even though AMC has now said on the record that they will run out of money in January, uh, <laughs> or roughly sometime in January, if not early spring of 2021. So there's that bit of news. Uh, I don't know. I kind of look at that as just like a... What's the right word for it? Like a... Not chicken, but like it's a, a bad type of omen. Well, <laughs> I feel like that's like a business version of like chicken to try and like get somebody to it's, be like an angel it's investor. Like, it's like what it's like what Alex Petrangelo just tried with the Blues. He try he overplayed his hand, and the Blues were like, "Uh, well, we're not gonna wait around to sign you and possibly lose out on some of the and on one of the other big name free agents. You've had your offer, you've had your time to sign. If you want to play the market, that's fine. But we're gonna go out and we're gonna use the money that we offered you to sign another guy. Your move." I feel like that was a very, very personal. Uh... <laughs> it wasn't you... personal. I'm just saying, like it. It's the same. Like it's one of those things. Like, like 
yeah, I just saw this play out where someone was like trying to really play up something for a negotiating tactic. And it's like, I mean, you can play that hand, but they can play right back. Ah, I see. Yes. The very specific nature of that, though. That's all that threw me off of it. That is actually a, a, a good analogy, though. That's, and that's all I was trying to say exactly, was that I feel like AMC is trying to snag an angel investor, but yeah, we'll see how long they'll play this game of chicken until they just close like Regal did to save some money. So yeah, we'll see. I just wanted to start it out, off there. Instead of our current state of the theater, it's now just uh, the current pulse of AMC. Uh, <laughs> but... <laughs> <laughs> but speaking of theaters segueing into new movies, uh, we do have two new trailers that we want to talk about real quick. They're both, well, one's an independent film. The other one is technically a major film. Uh, the first one, of course, though, the independent film, which, tell me if you've heard this song before, features our favorite actor, Nicolas Cage. It is a new film called Jujutsu. <laughs> Nicolas Cage. <laughs> it is uh yeah a nicholas cage film where he and all the uh asian american supporting actors all just kind of fight jujitsu for reasons like some kind of predator knockoff comes from comes in from say, outer space this movie, this movie screams predator but we couldn't afford to, uh cgi squib and bullets well, it's like it's like it's like Predator, but from Asia, kind of. I'm glad I'm not the only one that got the vibe it's, off of that. It's it's like Predator, but stupid. <laughs> not because it's Asian, but Predi- but because this looks cheap and very lazy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny, like when we were watching the trailer before um, we started taping, you were like, "Oh, don't have him play the old hermit," and I immediately I, went. I, I went, oh no, is he going to be the old hermit Asian guy that for some reason is being whitewashed in this movie? (laughs) And I'm not one of those people that like gets on top of like a a milk crate or whatever. Soapbox, that's the word. Yeah, Um, soapbox. (laughs) I don't get on top of that and like preach forever. I'm just saying, I was like, please don't. he, He doesn't know. So I guess Nick Cage still is having tax problems. Or these are just movies that were made a while ago and are just now coming out to us. Cause I know independent films sometimes have bad release problems, but I, in this case, I, I don't know. It just looks cheap. I didn't even care to pull up the, IMDb. Care? <laughs> I didn't even care to pull up the IMDb page. I don't care who made this. It looks terrible. Uh, it's on our Facebook page. If anybody wants to look at this trailer, uh, it looks worse than primal. It kind of looks like it was from the guys that made dragon ball back in 2009. It looks that cheap. Uh, do you remember Dragon Ball Evolution? Sorry, I tried to throw my beer can in the in the trash and it was too full, so it fell out. I had to grab it. What? I was saying, do you remember <laughs> Dragon Ball Evolution back in 2009, 10 years ago? Uh, no, I didn't watch that movie. Okay, I, I actually, I'm one of the few boys from our generation that didn't watch that show. Oh my god, it was it was pretty unwatchable. That and fan, that and Fan Four Stick are two of the only movies in the last decade I literally stopped before the halfway point just because I couldn't bring myself to finish it. It it was that terrible. But yeah, that's a, that's a hint for whatever you want to punish me for, for the movie we watched this week. Just a heads up. Family. (laughs) If we do one of those movies, 
I'll consider the punishment in itself being that I have to rent it. Uh. <laughs> I'm going to shave your head. Fine. I want a haircut. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm going to shave it, like buzz it off, and then I'm going to take a razor and run it over your head so it's like smooth. And then are you going to rub my head and go, family? And then I'm going to put coconut and <laughs> rub coconut oil on your head and go, family. And you're like, can you please? I'm trying to poop. <laughs> Sir, this is a Friday's. What are you doing? <laughs> Sir, this is a Chili's. <laughs> and I'm like, hi, welcome to Chili's. <laughs> Sir, you can't do that in the McDonald's playpen. <laughs> Sir, this is an Olive Garden. We're cool with it. <laughs> We're cool with you giving someone head. <laughs> Sir, you said you had some questions about light fixtures. If you don't need my help, you need to leave Lowe's immediately. Hey, look, it's Miss Piggy and Kermit. <laughs> And their abominations to God. <laughs> Piggy Jr. and... <laughs> Piggy Jr. and kill me. What was the... Oh, no, you don't watch American Dad. Dang it. I forgot what the... I forgot what the character's name was that the scientist made, and he's always just like, but you made me like this, Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> I remember watching an episode of The Nostalgia Critic. It was the uh, alien... Uh, the fourth Alien movie review. Oh, Resurrection. Yeah. Is that the one where they have Clone Ripley? Yeah. Resurrection's, like, Resurrection's weird. <laughs> it's a weird movie. He, he gets to the part where like the she's like, they find the clone then that's like, kill me. Kill me. And then she like lights up the flamethrower and he goes, a simple poison would suffice. Ah! Or wait, um... No, I think I'm confusing three and four because four or that uh, whatever. It's not worth it. I can't. I think I'm conflating let me, three let and me, four. Let me press my button that will insert an audio stinger. Who cares? Do you hear the button click? Oh, I thought you were actually pressing a button. <laughs> I would, but I'm afraid of what it would do to my recording. Oh, it's funny. Um, Yeah. Okay. Enough of that little side tangent thing, because we have one more trailer to talk to, about. To, con to conclude, to conclude, that Nicolas Cage movie, Jiu-Jitsu, looks terrible. <laughs> yeah, and clearly we had a lot to say about it. Um, <laughs> so our second trailer, uh, that's also on our Facebook wall, if you want to watch it, is a new film from wildly acclaimed director Paul W.S. Anderson. Not that hack Paul S. Anderson. What even is Phantom Thread. Gah. I mean, Resident Evil, guys, come on. This guy, this is going to be a hit, I promise. This, It's got his wife in it again, which was so well casted, or she was so well casted in all his other movies. I, I'm i so jazzed, and I guarantee you it's actually going to come out on December 30th this year, too, because there's no way that the theaters are going to close by then. I just, yeah, I'm so jazzed for this. How about you, Nick? What? <laughs> Was that sarcasm? No, Nick, it's not sarcasm. I love Paul W.S. Anderson's six Resident Evil movies. <laughs> really? I'm respecting you less the more you talk. Yes, this is all sarcasm. God, way to kill the joke. <laughs> There's one thing I know. It's how to run a joke into the ground. Yeah. <laughs> And run it over repeatedly with a snowblower. 
<laughs> <laughs> this movie looks horrible. Oh, I, I actual positive. Like, I, an actual like positive I'll throw out like, is the like visual effects don't look bad. Yeah, visually it doesn't look bad, but just the concept of the movie, like the way that they're making it, it looks horrible. Yeah, um, outside of it being made by Paul W.S. Anderson um, and starring his actual real-life wife, Mila Jovovich, uh, it's based on the PlayStation 2 role-playing game, Monster Hunter. I never played that personally, so I don't know. Like, Obviously, it's a video game. It's not going to stay like... as It's going to stay as true as it can to a video game, you know? Uh, so, I... Oh, my God. Literally, like, if I, I kind of wish I didn't look up it was made by Mr. Anderson because... If I didn't know that, I'd be a little bit more excited for this because it doesn't look like a terrible trailer. But then, yeah, with his with his track record, I I'm a okay if we end up not watching this for the show, even though we probably will have to, you know. Yeah, we probably will have to. Uh, yay! I really hope it gets delayed and delayed and delayed. I hope the entire theater economy crashes so we don't have to watch this movie. No. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ, dude. I'm I'm kidding. I don't want that to happen. I just really, really don't want to watch this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's all I have to. That's all I have to say about it. I've I've gotten it out of my system now. Unless you have any more sense you want to throw into this. Nah, dude. This movie looks stupid. Um, next. Sweet. Um, I'll segue this then. Speaking of theaters, into a bigger topic that we have about Disney Studios. The announcement that I was alluding to earlier was right after we finished taping last week, Disney announced that their latest Pixar it's film... It's made a guillotine for the movie industry. I... Yeah, yeah. Don't jump the gun quite yet, but yes. Uh, Soul, the latest Pixar film, is going to be skipping theaters and going to Disney+. Plus. But it's not just that. It is going to not have a $30 access fee, unlike Mulan. It will outright be for free as a part of Disney Plus on Christmas Day 2020. So I mentioned that because literally this week, about five days after that sole announcement, Disney, I don't remember which executive, I should have had his name in front of me, but a Disney executive has announced that Disney is no longer prioritizing theatrical distribution of any kind. And they are Thank you. What? Thank you. <laughs> yes, they are strictly only looking Apparently into Apparently I was wrong with my statement of Disney can wait it out. <laughs> they were like, nah, bro. Yeah, they're they're just strictly looking into home distribution, whether it's DVDs, Disney Plus, uh whatever direct to consumer instead of going through the theaters. Um, I don't, I wouldn't be prioritizing. They're not prioritizing theatrical distribution. They're just prioritizing getting the out there. Yeah. It's, I mean, one could read into this probably being in the long-term plans. I, I don't know. Part of me hopes that they at least You're you're the biggest media conglomerate in the world. And you came up with your own streaming service that is getting its own brand new releases. Of course, this was in the long term strategy. Yeah, I just I hope they my biggest hope is that they still like save at least the tent poles for theaters and then just everything else on Disney Plus. Like, I mean, unless I mean, there are murmurs that Marvel isn't thinking about a big tentpole film at least in the immediate future like they're strictly worrying about like uh 
the She-Hulk and WandaVision and What If and all the TV shows on Disney Plus for now, um, except for Thor, God, Thor Love and Thunder and uh, Guardians 3. But given that those are still like three years away, um, who knows how those are going to come out? Like three years is, I mean, this year's already been long enough. You know what I mean? So <laughs> who yeah. knows? But yeah, I what, what did you say? You called this the power drill in the coffin of the movie theater? <laughs> No, what I said was that this is the nail with screw threads on it. Yeah. In a coffin. It's, it's, but I said it sarcastically. Nothing's going to kill the theater industry. It's a niche. There still will be theaters. It's just, it might, it's just going to be different. And frankly, I'm glad I was wrong. I'm glad Disney finally just nutted up and was like, you know what? Just get, get it out. Just get our product out. Get it to the consumers. It's who we're making it for. So thank you, Disney. Yes, thank you for taking one more step into total world domination along with Amazon and uh, HG. eBay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> PayPal. Next, next week, eBay gets bought out. Uh. <laughs> Tell you, man, if they get their own streaming service, I'm all over it. <laughs> oh, look, Kelsey, reruns of House Hunters. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Is it? Dude, so today we were watching this show, and the the topic of the show is just so crazy to me. It's these people that have so much disposable income that they will pay a guy to design, like, a super high-end treehouse for them, and then they'll live in it. Wait, literally a treehouse that's inhabitable, like, outright inhabitable? Yeah. With, like, working plumbing and all that? I don't know about that. I I stopped watching it after I was done eating, but yeah. Huh. What channel was that on? I don't know. I don't normally watch it, like HGTV or something. Oh, okay. Well, I got the cable anyway. I was going to make a bad and channel block. No. (laughs) (coughs) Watch the Outdoor Network. There's a show where they hunt bears with bow and arrows. Oh, that's true. You did tell me about that. That is the most insane. Look, I know it's a thing. I know people. Look, I'm not against bow hunting. I just yeah, can't the, imagine. Sorry, three people that listen to us that are bow hunters. <laughs> I, no, I'm not. I'm not against bow hunting. What is just so insane to me is that these guys are going up to animals that their fight or flight risk is to fight, and they usually win. And they're like, you know what? I'm gonna hit it with a weapon that doesn't drop it immediately. Yeah, I wouldn't. That would probably be my last weapon I choose outside of my bare hands to go with against a bear. <laughs> no pun intended. There's there's another show and they're like, this is cruise missile hunting, and you just see like a bear by a stream just explode, and then like a deer explode, and then a rabbit. Guess what? Explode. It'd be amazing. No, I. This is IED hunting. In in the middle of the show intro, you hear boom, and then. Oh wait, hey, we gotta do that again. And, we got a deer and already. Then, <laughs> and then and then it cuts back to the hunter and he's like, and the good news is the explosion's so hot, meat's already cooked. Yeah. He just sticks out his arm and like the leg falls into his hand. <laughs> <laughs> I heard, dude, I heard a joke, I think it was a uh, Dan Cummings joke, and he's like, If I ever hit a deer, I'm not gonna repair my car, but I am gonna turn the deer into jerky. That way when someone goes, Oh my god, what did you hit? I can just go this and then take a bite. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a bad idea. Not a bad idea. Uh, <laughs> anyway, let's uh, let's go on to our next story. Uh, it's the last thing we have about Disney. 
uh, it is something you shared on our wall. I saw this at like 10 o'clock this morning uh, while I was doing something else. Uh, I paused what I was watching because I almost dropped my phone from laughing so hard at the poster for the newly announced <laughs> Star Wars holiday special. It's going to be on Disney it's Plus so on funny. it's going to be on Disney Plus November 17th, uh literally a month away from now in 30 days. Uh listeners, you don't know what I'm talking about if you haven't seen the poster, just go to our Facebook wall, but for those of you who have it, it is literally a Lego hand. It's a Lego hand with a bow on it that says "To Luke from your father." <laughs> and it's flesh colored. Oh my god. Like, yes, it's a Lego, and, like, part of Lego is, like, you can build and take apart and all that, but, like, I just saw that, and I read the two Luke from Vader, and realized, oh, he just gave his son a severed hand for Christmas. Like, <laughs> Maybe he's just giving him a hand with his schoolwork. Oh, that... <laughs> Here's your here's your algebra book back and oh my god what is in the pages oh that's your new bookmark son <laughs> it's all fleshy lick it <laughs> oh my gosh I my reaction to that poster aside I mean are you excited at all for a new holiday special given how well the first time the holiday special went with people <laughs> I'm excited I'm excited because it's Lego and how good I've liked all the Lego movies, like Lego Batman, Lego Movie One, Lego Movie Two. I did not see the Lego Ninjago movie. Oh, um, I haven't seen, as, I haven't seen that one either. I've seen all the other ones you've listed though. As much as I liked them, I'm I'm excited for this one. I I got one note first. I love how Lego is kind of like the neutral friend that can jump between all of these conglomerates and just like, oh, sure, you want to make your things out of Lego? Here you go. Like, it's kind of amazing that they haven't been bought out by somebody, frankly. Uh. <laughs> Dude, I, I remember when I was a kid, I remember when they first released, uh, uh, like, Star Wars Legos. Like, I actually remember, like, when they released it, just being like, oh, my God, I don't have to only play with my Star Wars action figures anymore. I could have Lego and Star Wars. How big was the Millennium Falcon set back then versus, what, the 700 pieces or so it is now? <laughs> you mean $700. <laughs> True, yes. Uh, yeah, I remember I remember playing with Legos a lot when I was younger. I haven't played with Legos in a really long time. But Dude, I had, I had a Lego City in my room. The last vivid memory I have with Legos, like, that was, like, an actual, like, took time to build, was, um, it was, like... Not can maybe it was named Connects. I don't remember, but it was like uh, it was not the actual bricks, but it was like those more elongated pieces that needed like the plastic joint connectors. And I made like a battle droid out of those. You know what Legos I'm talking oh, about? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Tech Technics. Yeah, something like that. And like you press this lever on its back, and the two arms would lift the pistol up. Like it was, it was the, pretty cool. The last Lego set I built was our cake topper for the wedding. What was the last one you built that took more than two minutes to build? Uh, Kelsey and I have a Lego house that you can change based off seasons. So that oh, one, and then and then uh, we also have a Lego camper, and we did the Lego Christmas advent calendar last year, and I want to do it this year if I can get my hands on a Star Wars one. Oh, nice! Um, yeah, I I, I did think, a. I, I think Lego's cool. Like, I have in my jersey cases. Um, since you're coming over this weekend, 
I'll have to show you. I have little, like, they're called Oyos, but they're basically just Legos with bendable knees. Um, I mean, they're almost identical. And I have some of those in my, jersey, like, frame jersey cases. I think I remember seeing those, but not noticing the actual knees. I've got, I've got, uh, I've got Andrew Luck, uh, Matt Adams, Alan Craig. I think that's it in cases. And then I've got Aaron Rodgers and Clay Matthews, not in Jersey cases. I'll have to actually pay attention to the knees this time. I, I don't remember. I don't remember noticing that about them. That's interesting though. Oh. But yeah, I'm excited for the Lego Star Wars Christmas special. I think it'd be pretty funny. Just if it's done, if I don't know if it is, if it's done by the people that did, you know, Lego Movie and Lego Movie Two and Lego Batman, I think it's got a really good shot of being really funny and memorable. Oh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller. Yeah. Remember, those were the guys that got fired from Solo. Yeah. Nice call, Kathleen. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that they're not going to come back unless they pay them a rather significant amount of money. <laughs> Boo! <laughs> Boo, indeed! I'm actually going to look that up Boo! now and see if they announced uh, who Boo the creatives indeed. are. Uh, Star Wars Holiday Special. Uh, I doubt it's going to... Oh, look, the 1978 one came up first. Uh, <laughs> I've uh, seen two or three different reviews on that one. I have no desire to watch that. I I joked with you when I first read this this morning was that I hope they just do a shot for shot remake of it but with uh <laughs> but with Legos. I think that'd be really funny. <laughs> uh Yeah, no, there's no news on here about who the creatives are going to be, unfortunately. But Oh wait, no. Yeah, there is. Here we go. It's directed by Ken Cunningham and written by David Shane. And I don't recognize any of the names of the executive producers. Hmm. I have no idea. We'll just have to wait and see what a trailer looks like in the next couple weeks or so. Yeah. It comes out like mid-November, like almost exactly a month from now, too. Yeah, November 17th. So, yeah, thir almost 30 days from now. So we're going to get a trailer yeah. sooner or later. I bet I yeah. guarantee you it's going to be tomorrow because we're taping this on a Thursday. So <laughs> Thanks, Disney. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, that's our last little bit of Disney news. So the final story that we pulled out of this really slow news week is, like I said, a follow-up to our conversation we had last week about Sony and the Tom Holland Spider-Man films. Uh, Nick, like last week, I'll let you break the news itself. What came out of Sony? What did they announce? So Sony is saying that right that Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield are not going to be in Spider-Man Three. Here's Yay! the thing. Yay! That's as of that's as of now, and also, of course, they're going to say that. <laughs> Why break the biggest plot twist of the movie? Just for giggles. So I'm not I'm not stirring I'm not trying to stir the pot and be like they definitely are in it. I'm just saying I take that with a grain of salt. It's it's the statement they have to make. Yeah, I I really hope they aren't, but given that they announced after uh actually after Electro last week, this also dropped after retape last week, uh they confirmed Benedict Cumberbatch is going to be Doctor Strange in the movie, so yeah, it's kind of hard to not imagine him doing something like and that. And his next movie is called The Multiverse of Madness. Yeah, I'm not excited still. I 
I just I don't know something about the prospect of doing the spy the Spider Verse after we already had it with successfully done with Into the Spider Verse. I I don't know. I don't call it call it my fear of diminishing returns. I just don't want to see Sony bungle it like during this already messy shared custody with Spider-Man. I just, I get a really icky feeling that somebody's going to screw it up. And it would probably be Sony. Well, yeah. I, <laughs> I Given mean, their track record of totally nailing Spider-Man. Well, when it's up to their own devices, yes. Um, except for Sam Raimi, but that was such a, that was so many different they creatives. Got lucky. <laughs> that was so many creatives ago, and Sam I, Raimi actually knows how to direct. So, and I'm, and also with what they've done since then, I'm really starting to think they got lucky. Oh yeah, no, they well they got lucky that they got one of the best directors that you could to make that movie. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, the uh, yeah we've already talked about it multiple times how awful the Andrew Garfield films are, and then Venom and. I don't know. Do you have any? Do you have any hope in uh, Morbius? Do you have any faith in that? I don't have hope in general. <laughs> life is okay, just here's life is thing. just an empty I, void, Dan. Duh. I I I remember watching the animated Spider-Man series a lot, and that's where I really remember Morbius from. So that being said, I that story is a very fine line of it's very easy to screw up, but at the same time, if you do it right, you can definitely get it to work. So I have hope in that they are clearly, they are clearly playing into a supernatural element with that one. Um, they have look Jared Leto totally sucked as the Joker, but Jared Leto is not a terrible actor. Yes, I completely agree. He's made far I'm, well. He's been a good actor in some terrible movies, except for Joker, that were that was a terrible movie and a terrible performance. <laughs> yeah. So I'm I'm hopeful that the movie will be good. I'm not holding my breath. I'm not going to be destroyed if it ends up being one of the worst movies of the year, and I won't be shocked if it is. But I think it's got pretty good potential. I I sure hope so. It's been a while since we've seen Jared Leto like in a leading role, so that prospect's kind of intriguing to me. Like the last time we saw him uh no, Blade Runner came out before Suicide Squad. That's or I think it did. I'm getting my I might be getting my time frame mixed up, but the last time I enjoyed seeing him on screen was Blade Runner and honestly, he was so awesome as that C that blind CEO. I know you didn't like that movie, but I love Jared Leto's performance in that. I didn't okay, I didn't love that movie mainly because I didn't like how they overemphasized the atmosphere, but I liked his performance in it. Did I did I send you a picture? I actually got a pop figure of him because it was like super discounted. I guess nobody yes. wanted it. Yes, you but did. <laughs> I love that it's got like the silvered out eyes and his hair's combed back. Like, I don't know, it's a it's a like listeners most of you probably know what pop figures are, but like big head, little body, but super detailed. I just like a little still, blind pop figure. <laughs> do you still have the Yadier Molina pop figure we got from the baseball game we went to last year? Yeah. No, I still have that. Oh, uh, cool. I think it's one of the only pops I have in a box still, actually. <laughs> well, it's a Bush Stadium exclusive. Yes, yes, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> it says so right on the box. 
I like that yours is in a jersey case, not in the box, but I'm the one that always opens my pop figures, but I still have that one in the box. <laughs> well, it's in, it's in a very rare signed Yeti or Molina jersey. Case. Well, yeah, no, it's it's not like it's just on your it, desk. Like, and you for those of it... you people that like Marvel, you're like, oh, it's a 2005 final stadium or final season Bush stadium jersey, so it's his number 41. And it's got a pretty rare inscription on it, so suck it. And if you read it, it'll act like the Necronomicon, and a tree will try to violate Nick. No. <laughs> Please don't read it. Yeah. Hold on, I just what's, realized. What's really, what's really I just scary realized, is... Wait, I just realized, have you not seen The Evil Dead? Yeah, I have. What's really, oh, okay. what's really, <laughs> what's really scary is there's only one tree on our property. <laughs> So it's obvious who it was. <laughs> yeah. Just walk out and stare at it. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> That's when you know we've run out of stuff to to, to, to talk about when we make yeah. evil dead jokes. <laughs> in, in, in the interest of not just jamming this full of really pointless filler and the fact that we do have a bonus episode. Bonus episode. Can we just not really cram this? Yes, yes. Listeners, uh, if you have not seen it yet in your podcatcher. We do have a bonus episode. It's the first one that we've done in over a year since that massive undertaking we took with Star Wars. Uh, <laughs> and thankfully, there isn't another one coming up right after it. Yes, yes. Uh, we don't have any others planned for the time being. We just, uh, we talk about it in the episode, but we found some time to see Tenet, not just on our own. We actually saw it together, and it was awesome. I'm so glad that we finally got to talk spoilers on Tenet because I've been holding them in for a month so <laughs> it was a great relief to finally get to talk about it with you and you all can take a listen to that it just came out a couple days ago if you're listening to this episode the day it drops so with that said I mean sorry there wasn't that much news to talk about y'all didn't give us too much extra to talk about other than what I kind of dug up so <laughs> yeah blame the media <laughs> if you guys happen to see anything during the next seven days that he wants to talk about. Uh, if I didn't catch it already, I'll probably throw it into the lineup. So with that, uh, Nick, do you have anything you want to say before we take a break? No. Two weeks. No, we're not taking another break. No. <laughs> Two weeks. Uh, we are going to have a little break, though, before we tell you what our reviews are this week. We'll be right back. All right, everybody, welcome to the show. As we stated in the intro, our first film of the week was not a return to the theaters. Instead, it was a return to Netflix. There it is. <laughs> mm. Let me tell you, that's more entertaining than anything in this movie. <laughs> uh, anyway, the title of this film is I'm Thinking of Ending Things. It is directed and... And if you think that that title is wordy, wait till you actually watch the movie. <laughs> it is directed and written by Charlie Kaufman, who brought us Synecdoche, New York, being John Malkovich, Adaptation, Eternal Sunshine, Spotless Mind, uh, many, many weird, but also relatively good movies, uh, unlike this one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's... Uh, 
it's based on the book by uh, Ian Reed uh, of the same title. And the film stars three actors who have been in the FX series Fargo, including Jesse Plemons, Jesse Buckley. Discount Matt Damon. <laughs> Matt Damon. Matt Damon. <laughs> oh, where was I? Uh, Jesse. Oh, yeah. Jesse Buckley, Tony Collette, and David Thewlis. And yeah, it's going to be pretty quick for my hot take. Um, yeah, I. All those films I just listed, I have seen. I'm generally a pretty big Charlie Kaufman fan. Um, except Synecdoche. I have not seen Synecdoche. But Adaptation, Being John Malkovich, uh, Sunshine. Love all those movies. And yeah, not... I don't want to completely hate on this movie. Because I'm, I'm not of two minds, but I, I my review is a tale of two halves. So what I mean by that is... The first half of this movie, uh, I'm really on board with. I was I, I was invested in the characters. I didn't mind uh, the the dialogue. Like I was actually like kind of really buying into like, oh well, this girl's clearly like she likes the guy, but she's got some things going on. Like she's not quite emotionally all there. I want to learn a little bit more about her. And then. Um, without getting into full details about, like, what happens up to the halfway point. Uh, it's it's interesting. I think it's interesting. I like the acting, and I stand by this for the whole movie. I think all of the acting in the whole movie is fantastic. But it just really, really, really fell apart in the second hour. Like, just, it, it kind of retreads kind of the same 40 minutes that we did already up to that point, And it kind of... This is when, for me, it finally started to get a little too pompous and a little too uh, pedantic. I don't really know a better word than that. Like, it just, it just, the weight, the weight of... When the you in- said pedantic, that made me think of the Family Guy episode where uh, Peter's like, that's shallow and pedantic. And then <laughs> I just expect you to follow it up when he's like, Lois, that's just morbidly obese. <laughs> that's funny. Um um, but yeah, it just, the weight of just the endless amount of dialogue and super, super specific references that I don't know anybody in 2020 is actually going to get, like, and I'm also embarrassed at, like, um, how much homework I kind of had to do after this to really, like, because I, I truly did not understand, not understand, like, it made sense who the actual point of view of the movie is from like i caught that like when that big reveal happens but uh the the endless references to oklahoma the references to all these poets i never personally had heard of before i mean call that a personal problem but i i'd like to hear any other 28 year old say that they knew anything that they were talking about except for uh oklahoma like <laughs> like nick i guarantee you've not heard of uh oh what was the movie they're referencing uh woman under the influence never uh, I've, I've, I know of the musical Oklahoma in that it exists. Um, that's it. I've never heard of whatever movie you just said, and that title is so boring. I forgot it already. Well, I, well, I'll, I'll agree. I've never seen Oklahoma, but I know of a couple songs of it. Like I've heard them just out of context, and 
I know the title, The Woman Under the Influence, and I've heard it. It would have been more it would have been more entertaining to watch that high school group of kids put on the performance <laughs> of Oklahoma that they have in this movie than watch this actual movie. I I agree. I I kinda wish we just watched Oklahoma instead too. But um but anyway. That, you know it, what it made me want is I was like, you know, I'm not gonna see Oklahoma, but I kinda wanna watch Hamilton. There, <laughs> on Disney Plus. That there, sounds more fun than this stupid movie. There's there are film versions of Oklahoma we could do for the show. Like they made a film version of the movie that was really acclaimed. But uh hmm. but anyway, tying it back to finishing my hot take, um, without really getting into the spoilers, I just I it really just kind of collapses under its own pretentious weight, really, by the time the second half rolls along. Like I just I don't care about these characters at this point anymore. It doesn't. It, it made the movie made its foundation on toothpicks standing on edge, and then it decided that the roof of its house was going to be lead. Yeah, it's it's interesting and kind of really sad. Like when when either of us could explain like uh, in our plot plot or plot point plot point recap when we get there, but it actually is a really sad story. Like when I again embarrassing i had to do as much homework as i did uh really to explain like what i just watched it's ac- it was actually really sad and when it was done i was like it all i almost said that wasn't the movie i watched because whatever you all just took away from it i couldn't take away from it because this movie was borderline impossible to watch in the second hour so i on our rating scale um a contender for best film of the year is a movie so good you get a full pan of brownies but you also get icing sprinkles all the fixings on top of it pretty good movie overall is a full pan of brownies <laughs> you get the state of oklahoma <laughs> yeah um Here's or no it'd be more like the, and the deed to the to the state i was gonna say it'd be more like wyoming like more of a perfect rectangle but <laughs> <laughs> um but anyway a uh a so-so 50 50 no you a. just bought this you bought the state of oklahoma and your uh your neighbors are being nice and bringing you a pan of brownies with sprinkles and icing <laughs> um a so-so 50 50 is a half pan of brownies a pretty bad movie with maybe one or two good things in it is a single brownie and a contender for the worst film of the year is a movie so bad you don't even get uh a brownie you get a cookie full of raisins I'm glad we were taping this a couple days after watching the movie, because if we taped it that night, I probably would have given this a half pan. But literally now, the the performances, again, I I love Jesse, Jesse, Tony, and David. I think especially their, their scene, uh, their dinner scene together, the 15-20 minute sequence, was genuinely... It was only 15 or 20 minutes, it felt like six hours. That scene is genuinely great, and I didn't mind, again, like, the 20 minutes it took to get to the dinner, but after that, like, that makes it sound like I'm going to give it a half pan, but the second hour of the movie is so bad, it's taking it to a single brownie. I can't give it a cookie, because, again, I, I genuinely love the performances in it, and I don't think it's the actor's fault. I think Charlie Kaufman, as a director, just kind of got in his own way. I, I know he's a great writer, so like maybe in the hands of a different director, they could have fine-tuned this a little bit, made it a little more watchable, but no, I'll I'll finally stop rambling. This movie's... Yeah, this movie's not not good at all, and I'm very disappointed. Um, so, Nick, finally, <laughs> you may speak now. What is your hot take on a, I'm Think of Ending Things? Well, allow me 
to get yep, Charlie. I while you were talking, I started googling Charlie Kaufman. He looks exactly like I thought he would. Um, <laughs> you said <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> you said that you that's... couldn't you couldn't give this movie a, a cookie. Allow me. I give this a cookie. Um, <laughs> this might come as a shock to our listeners or fans, um, but this movie is not for me. Shocking, I know. Um, yeah, that was. Imminent. I, I, I knew that. My, going, my I knew that going note, into this. By the way, I, <laughs> I just didn't anticipate the movie being this bad. Yeah. To which I do apologize. <laughs> you. So what's what? Okay, so what's interesting is this. Honestly, is the most bored I've been during a movie for our show. Um, oh, is that up there with you? Uh, you warned me going into it. Hmm? Right up there with what? Oh, I I spaced on what I was gonna say. Um, I was I, the, the first one that came into my head was uh, Indiana Jones, but at least, and, but I, or at least I wasn't bored during that. I was just confounded at that being an Indiana Jones movie. Uh, <laughs> I was okay. So that movie put me to sleep three times when I wasn't tired, but at the same time, like I actually found something interesting in that movie. Oh, okay, There's nothing nothing interests me in this movie. And to your to your credit, you you warned me pretty heavily going into this. And the thing that I found, uh, this is the first thing we're recording for the week, and I asked to do it first, not because I was dying to talk about it. I really wanted to hear <laughs> why you, the movie's target audience member, is like, this is a pretty terrible version of it. And the reason I say that is, this is my favorite note. It's the last note I have other than my rating on my phone. And it was one of the first notes I came up with, but I was like, I want this to be at the end of my notes because it sums up how I feel about this movie completely. And that note is, if loving these types of movies is what it takes to be a cinema snob, I'm fine if I continue to be a f idiot. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's I... like the, that's like the. Well, if that makes me a bad guy, go ahead and throw me in jail. That's <laughs> yeah. This movie. That's funny. This movie again. I'm, I'm not its target audience member, and very like you said, the last hour was hard for you to sit through. Uh, I have a note about. Uh, I this is one of the most notes I've ever taken for a movie. Um, one of my so I have one two. I have six notes before this, and this is the first 20 minutes of the movie. And oh, wow. the, my seventh note is at the 20 minute mark is I'm thinking of turning this movie off after only 20 minutes. Um, you said that so you, you didn't liked... even make it to the dinner. <laughs> no, I, I barely made it through the opening title sequence where she was like ASMRing the movie. Um, oh, yeah. Okay. This. I... <laughs> So I'm not angry and outraged like I have been with other movies that I just outright couldn't stand. This is probably going to be in my top 10 for worst movies of the year. And that's saying a lot with what we've seen this year. Um, would you Would you rather rewatch this or Clockwork Orange? Clockwork Orange. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> because it's pretentious, but there's interesting stuff happening on camera. There's They're driving through a snowstorm or they're sitting at a dinner table or they're driving through a snowstorm. I dude I or there's a bizarre or there's a ba bizarre ballet sequence happening. <laughs> yeah. Um this movie like I it didn't outrage me. Like clock like I, here's the thing, in movies that I've hated before, they outraged me and what I didn't like. 
all my notes in this are just Jesus Christ, shut up. Like this, it's just so talky. It's such a talky movie. It's very, and, it's very, it's, it's just pretentious dialogue. Like well, that was one of my notes to you was that it felt like, um, I didn't know it was based on a novel at the time. So this kind of negates a little bit of what I was saying, but my note I sent to you before I knew that was Jesus Christ. Did Charlie Kaufman have like a midlife crisis while he was writing this? Like, dude, you know, the saying, uh, stick up. It, it's got a stick up its ass about itself. This movie has a stick up its ass, except that stick up its ass is one of the trees in the Redwood National Forest. Yeah. It's, it's got a lot up its ass. Yeah. Um, it, 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 like, I, like, believe me, like, I, I'm usually all on board for, like, artsy, like, kind of egotistical directors. Like, when, like, when Lars von Trier, I'll just throw a name out there and pick that name up, uh... <laughs> Lars von Trier films, I really like his films, even though, yes, there are shades of pretentiousness that he writes into the characters that are kind of mouthpieces for his own personal uh, gripes, whatever he wants to say through the characters. There are shades of that in all of his movies, but he at least had something interesting to say, and... It took that me was, it was... took me after the fact to find out what exactly Charlie was trying to say through uh, these characters that like I can't wait to get into the spoilers so we can actually say like what the big twist is that kind of reshapes the entire movie like so that that's something that's interesting one of my notes that I, I kept putting I, I have it several times in my notes is just me saying over and over can we please get to the point? Because I don't feel at any moment in this movie, and now granted, I'm gonna follow this statement up with something else, so don't jump off into a tangent because I have to follow the I have to follow the statement up immediately. Okay. At no point in this movie did I feel like they were getting to like anything like it's like that Billy Madison thing where uh he's like, That's the most stupid moronic thing ever. Everyone here is dumber for having listened to you say it. And at no point did you did you come close to uttering a coherent thought. That, that's how I feel about the movie. Like, there's so... It, the whole movie, I'm like, you don't come close to a thought. And my follow-up to that is, is after that 20-minute note, I decided, like, 20 minutes in this movie, I was like, okay, this is a cookie. It's nothing can redeem this movie to me. It's it's not it's not my style. It's not my type of story. It's just... It, it doesn't hit anything for me. And I almost... Uh, I told Dan before we started recording, listeners... Um, at the 20 minute mark, I really did almost stop the movie and say, you just have to tell me about it. I can't stand this for two more hours. Um, but at the 20 minute mark, I decided this is going to be background noise and I'm just gonna like goof around on my phone. Look, just like do random stuff. Um, and then I'll pay attention to the story elements of it, but I'm not going to pay attention to the dialogue super close. Uh, because I paid attention to the dialogue, dialogue pretty close for 20 minutes, and I wanted to ram my head through a window. <laughs> um, I I can't I, I I can't ever think of a moment that I could bring myself to watch like to watch this again. Um, I don't want to see any more Andy Kaufman movies. Uh, not be, and I'm not. I'm not gonna be like, well, this is as bad when I get. I want to give him another chance. It's one of those. It, it what it is. I'm like, okay. It, this is what he does, good or not. This is not what I'm into. I'm not into super huge, deep think pieces 
that are two and a half hours long. And it's just this lady who can't get the balls enough to break up with her boyfriend. And then weird stuff happens and it goes for two and a half hours. And it's all about an existential crisis. But we don't know if who's existing, who's dead, who's alive, at what point in the timeline they are in their lives, why there's this janitor, why Oklahoma's happening. It's just, I, it's, it's one of those ones where I'm like, you know what? Maybe people that try acid aren't on to something. And I'm not <laughs> saying Charlie Coffin has done acid. I'm saying this story comes across like someone babbling to you about stuff while they're on acid. I, I give it a cookie. We can move into spoilers so you can kind of. You're going to take, I'm going to be honest with you. you. You have to take the reins on this one. I, like I said, I stopped paying attention to dialogue after 20 minutes in this movie. And I really only paid attention to story elements. Okay. That's fair. And I, the only thing that I would say is that I do genuinely want you to watch. Um, it's, a, it's one of his early, I want to, I want you, I want your opinion on some of his earlier films. Not that we'll get to them anytime soon, but um, one thing that I hope, makes you feel here's, no there's here's the... my stipulation to that here's my stipulation to that if we watch another one of his movies whether it's for the show or you convince me hey just watch this movie on your own time if after 20 minutes i feel you know what this like the same you know what I, this movie isn't it for me whether it's for the show or just in general i can turn it off you can't give me any crap for it that's 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 fair i'll i can ex well yes that's fine i'll say fine I would be very fascinated if that actually happens with um, Eternal Sunshine, though, because I feel like I've told you about that's that. That's that one. Jim Carrey movie one, right? Yeah, Jim Carrey wants to erase. I, a, he wants to I erase might, Kate Winslet from his mind after they break up, and it's, I might give. I might be more forgiving with that one, just because I think when Jim Carrey does a deep movie, even when it's not good, there's something interesting there. Well, it helps that Charlie didn't direct that one either. Uh, I think it was Michelle Gondry that did that one. Hmm. but the fact that charlie was not in the director's chair all he did was write it i think i think is a massive plus for him i think somebody else has to handle his scripts just because especially evident with this movie um <laughs> he needs somebody to kind of rein it in yeah you you said it to me in a text message which is you were like jesus christ this movie feels like charlie kaufman just had a midlife crisis and then went i'm gonna make a movie <laughs> Well, yeah, I, I I said that a little earlier, too, and I stand by that. I feel like that something something must have happened to him lately where he's been pondering about where he stands in the age that he's at and just related to this. And, like, I'm not saying that he's – I'm not trying to say that he's suicidal at all, but, like, maybe there were some elements in this story that, like, he could relate to and want to so, write about so. existential problems like that. Like, through so things through we want to make sure – some things we want to make sure that are very clear in our statements. You don't think he's suicidal. I don't think he's on acid. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a got good, it. I think that's a good uh, segue for us to say now that everything is uh, in the spoiler section for this movie now. And also, uh, since I already kind of hinted at it, uh, there are there is an element of suicide that. Uh, is in this movie um it's a little bit of a heavy topic obviously in general and uh just a heads up on that uh we're gonna be as sensitive as possible to it but but we also have to actually talk about the movie so 
uh yeah just given you also that that's a surprising up. statement to me <laughs> that's a surprising statement to me because that's how little i paid attention to it after 20 minutes i didn't know that there was that in this movie well, what does the phrase "I'm thinking of ending things" mean to you? <laughs> well, that's actually what I—that's actually what I thought the movie was about when I saw the title, and then the lady's like talking about I th- "I'm thinking of ending things" with Jason or whatever the boyfriend's name was. I was like, oh, okay, I guess it's not that. Okay, well, and then there's... it got pretentious for for 20 minutes, and I stopped paying attention that much. Well, okay, that's actually—I um, do have a series of questions I want to ask you about. Um, they may, I mean, they kind of go across the whole movie. I'm not going to, I'm going to try to a- ask them linearly, but I'm not doing a scene by scene breakdown, listeners. Um, uh, so one big, we'd one of be the, here for six years. <laughs> one of the broader things that um, I want to, I want to bring up to you is that um, it kind of will answer how closely you actually paid attention, like how often you looked off from your phone. Did you notice, especially in um, the, in the dinner sequence, like once it finally started to get really weird, did you notice that like David Thewlis's bandage shifted from one side of his forehead to the other? And then, uh, Lucy's, uh, dress completely changed and like no, little subtle the... visual things like that. Like I didn't pick up on the visual things. I did pick up on her stammering. Once it got more serious, I'd noticed that she stuttered and stammered. Dude, the people's clothing would change the lighting would drastically change i would notice i would notice like the change in like their age where all of a sudden like the mother is like on life support old and then the father suddenly looked like 30 years younger right that that's something i actually i noticed that i didn't notice i did not notice the band-aid move and the dress change so I didn't I didn't notice the subtle changes, but I did notice the kind of bigger changes. So I'm guessing you also didn't notice that her name and what she what her job and what she's at school for constantly changed also. No, didn't notice that at all. Oh dude, they well, it's like it's they say that like, oh, she's studying she's studying uh uh poetry and then oh, I'm studying this kind of physics, and then I'm studying this, and then, like, her name changes, too. Like, um, I actually have it as one of my notes because it made me laugh really hard. Uh, when they were in the car, and he was just like, oh, this this favorite poet of mine wrote it for a Lucy. And then he looks at her, and then she's just like, like me, and has this really forced smile. <laughs> I remember that, yeah. I thought that was kind of funny. but I remember Discount Matt Damon coming across as a comp- complete abusive psychopath in several scenes oh, i oh my gosh i as me, as much as i'm gonna gripe about this movie i love jesse Plemons in this movie i thought discount matt damon put some respect on that guy's name i thought discount matt damon was the best thing this matt movie damon. had going for it i loved his performance i don't i don't i'm not a huge fan of the right of uh, the script in this movie at all but what he was told to do he acted the hell out of it i loved it i love the um i love the like uh, what's the best way to describe it? The like, uh, the controlled demeanor that always just crack just that little bit. If like she wanted to go to the basement, or when the mom wouldn't say genius right. Like I love the little cracks that would show up for like the most minute petty things, or like when he wants to throw away the ice cream uh, in the second half of the movie because it's gonna melt everywhere. Like I don't know, little things about his performance like that I loved. Um, I. I loved I loved in his performance 
when they get the ice cream and it comes out and I'm like, my God, you got like extra larges. Like Dairy Queen's large is not even that big. Right. Oh, uh, before I get back to what I was going to say, this was actually in the novel it's based on. This was a Dairy Queen, but obviously you can just call something Dairy Queen in a book, but legal reasons. Yeah. Obviously they couldn't do Dairy Queen in the in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Um. But anyway, back to the... Not so much the drive. Like, I was fascinated, though, like, getting to getting introduced to uh, Jesse Buckley's character. Let's just say Lucy, even though she actually doesn't really have a name. Uh, I liked, I kind of liked that it started out as, like, we get, I thought it was going to be an outright character study about, like, this girl's insecurities, like, and get to know her that way while the movie starts as an introduction to her as, I have a boyfriend, but I don't kind of think I like him that much. I thought it was going to go down like that route. We get to understand this girl more, but uh, obviously it doesn't. But um, so the dialogue in the cards, whatever. I laughed really hard uh, when they got to the barn. And I thought this would make you laugh because you have a little bit of farm history. When <laughs> they saw the dead sheep and he was, and she was like, <laughs> she's like so sad about it. He's like, they're dead. What do you care? Oh, it was it wasn't just that. It was just like, oh, they're already frozen solid. We'll get them after winter. By the way, this is where we slaughtered the pigs. <laughs> yeah. Um I laughed really hard so, at that. Um but anyway. So for for reference, I actually worked on a pig farm for six weeks several summers ago. Yeah. Um it was my first job I ever had a boss with. So I remember one of the first things they said was the best thing to do is not give any of the pigs or piglets any names. And the moment she walked into that barn, I was like, she's going to give the name to an animal and it's going to have to get killed in front of her, isn't it? And that didn't happen. But um, I actually so I have a kind of interesting question or strange question for you. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, looking looking through my notes once once they get to his family farm. Um, one of my notes is his mom looks like Skeletor. And number two, <laughs> Tony Collette is a treasure. You be you be nice. <laughs> Tony Collette looks like she battles He Man every Saturday morning at nine thirty back in the eighties. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Come on the pod. Um, Please, no. I will I will bask in your glory and tell you how great Hereditary was over and over again. Um, so, in this movie, after the dinner scene, they go out in the living room and what was it called? The chocolate U log. Yeah, was it was it? a chocolate u log. Okay, so they're gonna eat the chocolate u log, and they show um, discount Matt Damon and the uh, Angel of Death nurse from Fargo season, whatever this is, uh, walking through the house looking at pictures, and you can hear them talking. And in the background, violently, you can hear people shouting at each other. And it's muffled because there's a wall, like a couple walls protecting them. Did you notice the violent shouting? That was the parents yelling at each other yeah. in the kitchen. Yeah, and it's really weird because they're super nice and pleasant to each other through the rest of the movie, and then they're off screen and they're screaming at each other. Yeah, I noticed that. Um, and that was when it started getting all super trippy. Like when, uh, when she looks at the... I can't remember what she was looking at. I think she was looking at the painting or her phone, and then she looks up, and everybody's gone. And then she goes up to uh, Jake's old bedroom, and then the dad is now, like, senile. And <laughs> I laughed really hard when he was like, oh, well, you two aren't going to be in this bed. 
this bed's for one child, not two adults. Like, <laughs> yeah, that was pretty great. <laughs> um, but um, not to really like nitpick like the super specifics. Um, I kind of want to segue this into um the bigger reveal, like the reason that like uh the wardrobe would change, the ages would change, uh. Lucy's name would change constantly uh, to like Yvonne or Lucille or uh, Lucendo or however many names it was because (laughs) and then like what happens in the basement too like when she finally goes into the basement she sees what turns out to be janitor uniforms at the halfway part point of this movie like after we just have this really bizarre trip out sequence with the family dinner uh, it basically is revealed now that discount Matt Damon is actually telling the story that we're watching. It's, I mean, I don't know if it was that explicit to you, but, like, at that point when um, he says, well, I'd see the kids every day. It's like the kids I see every day at high school. And then it cuts back to the high school. Yeah, that line keeps getting said in the movie, and it's unbelievably creepy. Well, yeah, but, like, if, like, it took me that long to really, like, part of me was just, like, wait, does he grow into that character, or is yeah, this... Yeah, I thought, I was, like, so he's the janitor? Yeah, I didn't want to, like, exactly, like, make a guess at, like, how concretely, like, if they were connected together, but then, like, like I'm saying now, like, at that point, I'm, like, oh, no, okay, the janitor is discount Matt Damon, and while I was watching the movie, again, it just... It was just a lot for me to take in and just try to just think about, like, okay, well, why is it so weird for the sake of being weird? Like, Charlie, why are you going, like, so over the top with, like, I get it's your thing, but uh, it took somebody else, somebody else's theory, so I'm not going to say this is my own thought, but I actually really like it. Um, The way Charlie directs the scenes whenever uh, it's just Jesse and Jesse... Little things like the wardrobe changes or the inconsistent names uh, or, like, other bizarre elements of it are to be an emulation of what it's like with human memory because sometimes we forget things. We mix things up. We say one person said one thing or we forget what a person said. And, like, the fact that everything that, like, they're talking about, we find out and see evidence of... Uh, like he read that poet or that poetry he owns that one thing like it's all in that bedroom so in a weird meta way when she walks into the bedroom he's just walking into the part of his mind that's like his childhood memories like when he lived in that room so that's another reason i really kind of hate this movie is because it couldn't it couldn't be accessible enough for even me Like, I had to do all this homework afterwards, and that's why I said in the hot take, like, wow, there actually is an interesting movie in here. I wish it was as watchable as the analysis I just watched. Like, (laughs) (laughs) Instead, you got me just being like, I checked out after 20 minutes but left it on due to having to have it seen it. I was, I, 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 I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm, maybe I'm dumb, but, like, I... I st- I was in the I was in that same the, boat as you. I was in that same boat as you. I I was really ready to give up in this movie in the second hour. Like especially like okay now we know it's the janitor, and they have the the endless the endless talk about the woman under the influence. 
the really creepy encounter at the at the not Dairy Queen. Which, by the way, that actually did Man, creep me out just a little bit. That didn't creep me out, but I just remember, like, so they open the thing, like the door, and then she goes, like, they go to ask her what she wants, and then they go to ask Mad Damon what he wants, and there's two girls, they place the order, and then there's this one girl who is, like, covered in lesions and, like, blood and burns it was just and, a, it was yeah it was just i mean it was just uh it was just a skin condition like oh well okay i'm not trying to make if anyone has whatever she has i'm not trying to make you feel bad i'm just saying like yeah no it was like, it was just a it was just a really gnarly rash <laughs> yeah and i i just remember like i the, i see the girls that are like being flirty and i look up and i was like just give them their ice cream so this can end and i look back down at my phone and then like 20 seconds later i look back up and rash girl is on screen and i'm like uh, did one of them transform and then they turn over and like the two of them are like giggling and i was like oh is she gonna stick them in the fryer is bright burn gonna happen and she's gonna like burn a hole through the freezer and then kill them oh dude whatever she said like right as she handed the ice cream and then it was like excuse me and she's like oh you guys have a safe drive be careful it's treacherous out there like that sudden change in her tone i was just like oh okay you all need to leave now like <laughs> but uh those girls were actually I just I, like speaking speaking of speaking of the weather I, I there actually is a note um in my notes that says I love this type of weather I actually really like like cold weather whether it's cold and rainy or cold and snowy I just really like it and I one of my notes is I love this kind of weather and this girl is making me not just like her <laughs> talking about how much she likes the weather on the way out there I was like I, like I'm not kidding you. I was like, I really hope this movie ends with the car flipping upside down and exploding. That would have been more interesting than what they did. I mean, um, I'm looking at. Do you want to uh, hear my best movie reference throughout the movie? Your best movie reference? What? What? Do you... Yeah. So, do you remember the scene where she looks at someone's foot and sees their toe, and gets grossed out by it? Uh, not on I... hand. It's it's at the dinner and oh it's like, oh it's 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 David Thewlis's foot yeah yeah, yeah 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 she sees a toe and she gets grossed out by it my first thought was I can get you a toe oh <laughs> I'll have it for you by the end of the day any nail polish you want bunch of amateurs <laughs> that was my thought I um I wrote down a lot of um just kind of jokes but not like that but like uh I wrote down twice because when the dog came on screen twice in the farm it just shook like it was having a seizure that was hilarious to me i don't know what it was about that dog just like wagging like water off itself for like 30 straight seconds i found that hysterical every time it happened oh yeah i have in all capital letters maybe it's because there was any there was a lack of any entertainment in this movie was just a void of happiness but that made me laugh (laughs) i wrote seizure dog in all capital letters twice uh i've Um, got i've got uh this is like the ass, like Asperger's the family gathering. <laughs> um, I've also got this feels like George Lucas saw it and thought I can handle deep dialogue for my characters and then wrote the prequels. <laughs> I'm still uh, laughing at Asperger's the family dinner. <laughs> okay, you want to hear a really awful. dumb personal story <laughs> that this movie made me think of? Sure. 
So this, I, I had this thought when they went to the ice cream shop. I remember when I was five years old, my family used to get deliveries from the Schwan Man. And for those of you that don't know what the Schwan Man is, um, basically it's this truck that was like a giant freezer truck. And it would just bring, like, you could grocery shop from your house. And I remember in the wintertime, we would get ice cream from him. And for some reason in the wintertime, I was really excited about the ice cream more so than the summer. I don't know why, but when they stopped for ice cream, I thought of that, and that gave me entertainment. That's how boring this movie was. That story was <laughs> terrible and never should have been uttered, but I found it entertaining. That's how boring this movie is. <laughs> well, let me um, let me steer this now, uh, no pun intended. Um, we talked about the the first half of the film, so let's go from the ice cream parlor now to... Um, they're having the argument about trying to throw away the ice cream, and then they get to the high school. And Discount Matt Damon went to this high school before, which at this point we know it's the janitor, so he's just projecting this, uh, going back into the school, and then the girl's staying in the car, then she decides to get out, locks herself out of the car, and then actually meets the janitor. And they have a little exchange. Uh, they exchange slippers which not going to lie I can't remember exactly what he said cuz I was kind of checked out at that part too. Um <laughs> I just saw him holding the slippers and I was like, "Oh, it's Matt Damon." And then I went back to my phone. Yeah, I don't remember apologies. I don't remember exactly what was exchanged there, but at this point it now turns into uh what I now know upon research cuz again, I've not seen Oklahoma all the way through. It's the entire uh it's 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 a a ballet dance uh interpretation of the ending of Oklahoma where there's the conflict over the girl and then the guy that was pining for her gets stabbed but i think the film was using this as like an allegory for yeah i thought uh, it was that like she is going to be like raped and then Matt Damon goes to protect her and gets stabbed and then starts bleeding handkerchiefs and then she gets kidnapped anyway. Yeah, like I here's a here's a question that I have. Like the the, the way that they use Oklahoma and then um It's not just or I'll 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 ask you your thoughts about the pig too when we get there, but like just strictly the Oklahoma stuff like What pig? Oh, I'll definitely Miss Piggy <laughs> No, no, I'll remind you. Give me a sec. Like, I'm trying to talk about specifically the Oklahoma stuff. Like, because we have the interpretive dance uh, going through, like, the lockers and then into the gym. But then after the pig sequence, he sings a song that's only in the stage version. I think I read that this song was not in the movie, but in the stage. Oh, are you, are you talking about when he sings are you talking about like it's at some awards banquet and then they put everyone in super old makeup but they only do their faces so their arms and hands look fine well yeah it, it's like stage makeup too so it doesn't look like it it looks like stage old yeah like, it was the, such a bizarre scene yeah like so okay how what did you take away from that because like for me i i i like this interpretation because when it was honestly for me Full disclosure, I didn't know what the hell I just watched. Like, I didn't even really know this was a reference to Oklahoma, even though I should have taken the context clue because he talks about Oklahoma in the first 10 minutes. But, um, I, I don't know. I kind of like the theory that 
he was explaining the torment that he's been carrying from whatever point in his life that was similar enough to Oklahoma that he that's where he grew this like obsession with it because it's similar to something that happened in his life and then that last song where he talks about how he's okay in this tiny house and um he's finally at peace with now being the moment when he kills himself so using again the the allegory of like Oklahoma and then he's accepting the Nobel Peace Prize and maybe that's supposed to be like him accepting the the peace that he's come to with himself in the decision to kill himself like I mean tell me if you think I'm projecting but that's kind of more like how I think the movie wanted us to to think it ended for him like through these bizarre visual metaphors like this is just the best that I can interpret and honestly I again I'm drawing this from a lot of help I took for like an hour after this movie so you might get frustrated by this but because I didn't pay attention to the dialogue of the movie I don't know what he's talking about at the end of it. I just well, it's, know... a, it's a song it's a song it's just a song from Oklahoma like he's just singing okay. the song okay but what I'm getting at I wasn't paying attention to what was being said in the song I just knew there was people singing in music and he was old. What I took that scene to be was for some reason, it's supposed to show that their face got old, but their bodies didn't that or the makeup department got really lazy because this was the last day of shooting and they were tired of this pompous ass telling them what to do. That's what I took from the scene. I have no interpretation of what happened because I could not care less at that moment. I just wanted the movie to end. (laughs) I will stick up for the makeup department and think that they were deliberately told to do that because back in the dinner sequence... I'm going to be honest with you. I With how like badly good it is, I think it's deliberate. Yeah, no, because like it's it's on a high school stage. They like, bring out if a high school stage you, of that house, like, and he's in his own old makeup too. If you're a professional makeup artist in Hollywood, you have to try to do it as bad as it is in that scene. Well, yeah, it's just supposed to look like a high school production. Because, again, like, he talks about, oh, I've seen the high school production of Oklahoma, I don't even know how many times now. Like, um, and the makeup in the dinner sequence where they keep changing ages, like, Tony Collette's got some amazing old person makeup on her. Like, it, I was impressed with how beautiful the makeup looked on her when, like, she was completely bedridden and like she's got like the bag under her neck and like i don't know i thought the makeup in this movie was exceptional like even though it's only used kind of intermittently but um but yeah no you don't remember the back to the pig i guess this will be the last thing i asked before the nick cage question was you don't remember the the pig that became animated and then he got naked and walked through the school Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. I remember that. (laughs) What the hell was that? The pig. Like, I'm not even kidding you. I literally look up and just see this pig walking around with a naked man, and I just went, I missed something important, but I'm not rewinding it, and I look back down at my phone. Well, the only... The big thing that I remember from that was um, the pig and him were talking about um, something along the lines of, like, well... Sometimes, sometimes in life, you're the pig, and you don't want to be, but you don't want to be the pig that's filled with maggots, right? And then he's like, yeah. And he's like, well, and then the pig's like, well, I'm that pig filled with maggots or something like that. Like, it was, it was just more existential dialogue, but it was really more 
again, from an interpretation that I, again, needed some reference to, um, that was really, like, the tipping point of, like, it, it really explicitly saying and confirming that, like, oh, yeah, no, this guy is the hero of his own story, but his story is not worthwhile. Like, he's just miserable, <laughs> and he's a janitor, he's, and he's, he's the just hero not of his happy. own story. The problem is... He's the hero of his own story. The problem is, we don't know what his story is. Well, we know it's miserable, and we can tell from the way that, like, it turns out that sh- the, the that Lucy is not the uh, lead character. It's actually Jesse, but Jesse and everything in these supposed flashbacks are all just projections and unreliable memories because, like, the little details change all the time, and then it just breaks down to these bizarre sequences of just well madness it's it's really creepy like and weird some of the stuff that happens in those but like the fact that they're broken like that it's it's all in his head and he can't even keep it all straight like while we now know that he's telling us this and why he's walking us through this i mean that's why i was saying that he's probably just thinking about this girl that he ended up losing before he became a janitor and is now thinking of killing himself i mean that's I, that's kind of like the, the, I don't know. I feel like that's what it wanted me to think of while this movie was happening, but I don't know. Maybe I'm just being generous. I don't know. Like, what's interesting is, I'm trying to think after having listened to you, I'm trying to think if they if they made this a good version of this, would I find something that I like in it? And I really don't think so. No, this I I'm I'm with you. I don't feels, I don't want it, to wa- I don't want to watch this again. I'd rather listen to other people's thoughts on this as well. Like, and trust me, I I did listen to one that kind of like you. The guy straight up said that watching this movie almost ruined my day. I hated it this much. So, what, but what I'm getting at is with. With art house movies, I get the point is it's supposed to be about the artiste and it's supposed to be artistic and it's supposed to take liberties and you're supposed to go along. Like, yeah, I get that those movies are intended to be bloated. I, I get it. It's artistic. At the same time, this movie feels bloated for a bloated movie. It's it's not it. It has a lot to say, but it's not saying it in a way that makes anybody remotely interested in what you have to say it's not just what you're saying it's like uh it's not what you say it's how you say it it's that old saying the way this movie says what it wants to say like i had to do a lot of digging to find the interesting things of what or understand like that it's actually kind of a really tragic sad story that this movie's actually about because i couldn't get that because the way this movie was saying what it was trying to say it made me not a, not want to watch the movie once we got to the second hour because it was so unbearable to sit through. <laughs> um, so the all-important Nicolas Cage question. Who would you cast Nicolas Cage to be in this movie? Who would you cast to be Nicolas Cage in this movie? Even, I would say the janitor, like, just because Nick Cage doing a completely silent role would be interesting like seeing Nicolas Cage be the janitor like him being the face of this uh, of the janitor but he's more like my honorable mention 
Um, my number one is really just a really stupid kind of selfish reason I would swap it out, and it's absolutely no offense to David Thewlis. I loved him in this movie, but I would have him play the dad. I would love to see Nicolas Cage <laughs> play the dad in this movie. Like, especially the line that he has, the actually pretty important line that he has, where he's like, well, if nobody's in the painting, I don't know what I'm supposed to feel because I can't see what the person's thinking in the portrait. Like, that actually was kind of interesting. The art interpretation part in the dinner sequence. Yeah, for, for how like they that. play him up to be like, for as much as they play up uh, Discount Matt Damon's family to be stupid hick farmers, his dad actually is incredibly smart. Oh my god, he is, and I loved... I, I, I don't know, something about Tony Collette's performance when she's just, like, so supportive and so loving, even though she doesn't quite say or completely understand, like, what Matt Damon's, like, passions were. Like, just the, just the, like, oh, we were so happy when we would play the, 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 the Guinness version of that game. It's genius, Mom. It's genius. No, he was, like, she was saying Gina, genius, and Matt Damon was saying genius. Oh, right, right, or, Yeah. Now I just did it, uh, but no, yeah. Uh, I, mean, I would pick I would pick David Thewlis, but even though I love David Thewlis and Tony Collette both, I, I would I honestly like if they got nominated for Oscars, I wouldn't complain. Like I, they're only in the movie for like fifteen minutes, but I, their performances were that good. I would replace uh, Discount Matt Damon, and the reason being is not because we spend so much time with the character, but actually when he's snapping and getting angry, I think it'd be great to have Nicolas Cage play that. Nicolas Cage saying half the dialogue that he does in this movie, that would be actually really entertaining. Yeah. Well, no, you see here, so what, the, a- what, the, what the poet is trying to say here is in reference to this renaissance. Like. <laughs> so to just kind of finish it up and wrap it up to sum up my thoughts once again if if being if to be a cinema snob i have to love movies like this i'm totally fine if i just continue to be a complete f-ing idiot i promise you you don't have to because i am a self-proclaimed cinema snob and i i do like certain parts of this movie i don't completely hate this movie but the things that are unwatchable in this movie are very much unwatchable. It really was pretty close to a cookie for me, but I I'm settling on a single brownie. Like it's 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 and, good it's good and, and comfortable right there. One of one of the funniest things is Dan kept saying he's like I'm sorry, and I he's like I get it that you need to punish me for having picked this movie. And so here's the thing: I I know the next two time machines I'm picking. And Dan was like, oh, you're not going to punish me with it? And I was like, oh, no, I will. You're just going to you're going to ha- be punished for it after like we do these next two movies because you're so gung ho on finishing the, the, the trilogy that we're on. I get it. I get yeah. it. It's yeah. going to be a delayed gratification for you, I guess. <laughs> yeah, you're going to pay pretty hard. Um, <laughs> we're going <laughs> to uh, I can't even uh, No, I don't want to say a title. Let me I... let me put it this way. Let me put it this way. We might start a film franchise that's all about family. Oh, word. <laughs> that wouldn't be as that wouldn't be as I wouldn't be as terrified of that as you would think. Well, at a certain point, but <laughs> but. but but yeah, anyway, it's watch at your own watch at your own peril people. It's on Netflix, so you can just Honestly, fl- don't watch. <laughs> don't watch this one. Don't don't give him don't reward 
David Co- or whatever Kaufman, whatever his stupid name is. Charlie, Charlie Kaufman. <laughs> Steve, don't reco- don't reward him for having made this movie. You can reward him for his other work if you're a big fan of his, but this one don't reward him for this. Yeah, I obviously he got upfront money from Netflix, but no, it's watch at your own peril. Watch like 20 minutes of it and then go to HBO Max and watch Friends since it's not on Netflix anymore. I don't know. Just yeah. It's it's what it is, guys. <laughs> the the ALCS and NLCS are on right now. Watch that. Yeah. I I would much rather watch a baseball game than this again too. I, sports month. Sports month. <laughs> we haven't had sports month in a while. I just just made me think of that. <laughs> uh, what if I picked instead of uh instead of the movie I hinted? What if I picked Mighty Ducks? Oh, I thought you were gonna say like Radio. <laughs> I don't think I've ever actually seen that movie. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. I would watch. I'd be willing to watch it again just to see how poorly it's aged. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, let's go ahead and wrap this up. We're already almost at an hour, so uh, yeah. With that, guys, we're gonna take a brief break, and when we come back, we'll remind you the second film that we saw this week. We'll be right back. <laughs> All right, everybody. Welcome to another episode. <laughs> oh, that was foamy. Ah, <laughs> oh, that was awesome. Uh, yes, guys. Welcome to another episode. This week we took the time machine to 1964 for the first film of whether you call it the Dollar Trilogy or the Man with No Name Trilogy. It's a fistful of. <laughs> nope, not that movie yet. <laughs> it's a fistful of dollars, everybody. It stars Clint Eastwood, Marianne, a uh, coach, I hope that's how you say that, along with Joseph Egger, Wolfgame Lutzky, and John Wells. I'm not going to try to pronounce anybody else's name except for the legendary director Sergio Leone, based upon the Akira Kurosawa film Yojimbo. If you didn't know that, Nick, it was, uh, <laughs> this will be the first bit of trivia I just go ahead and spoil. Uh, this movie was actually sued by the company Toho because uh, Sergio did not pay that company for the rights to to Yajimbo, even though this movie more or less ripped it off uh, kind of scene for scene. Uh, <laughs> you haven't seen you haven't seen Yajimbo either, right? What do you think? <laughs> I'm just making sure. <laughs> I'm just asking because it's now, a bear- this incredibly obscure movie title from a foreign land. Have you seen it? Person who's barely seen domestic movies. Uh, I would not say the word. I would not say the word obscure because Akira Kurosawa is one of the most legendary directors on the entire globe. But I also say this, listeners, because as a guy with a film degree. I am admittedly embarrassingly behind on Kurosawa films, including Yujimbo. I've been meaning to watch it, but I just... Sorry, guys. I just haven't. I'm very behind on my Kurosawa films. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, the film that was inspired by Yujimbo is a fist 
full of dollars. Yeah. Nick, you are the one that uh, brought us here in the time machine. So why don't we start off with your hot take? What did you think of this movie? It's all right. No, um, I give this movie um, on our scale where a pan of, uh, full pan of brownies with sprinkles and icing is the best movie we could see. A full pan is a pretty good movie, but it has some things that can be improved. A half pan is a 50-50 so-so movie. Single brownie is a pretty bad, but not the worst thing we've seen movie. And then a cookie is so bad that we can't even recognize it as a brownie. Therefore, it is a raisin cookie. Um, I give Fistful of Dollars our highest rating i loved this and also having watched this right after having finished that stupid pedantic up its own ass movie whatever we just reviewed this movie is a breath of fresh air (laughs) that movie was i'm thinking of ending things uh (laughs) i'm thinking of watching this movie again instead of having to sit through uh i'm thinking of jesse plemons um I'd much rather watch a movie about an obsession with Jesse Plemons than watching that other movie again. <laughs> what about listening to a podcast with an obsession with Nicolas Cage? Oh, well, now you're making me pick between a... Or no, you're putting me between a rock and a hard place because I don't want to choose. <laughs> <laughs> um, I had seen a little bit of this movie, not very much. Um, one of my first notes about the movie was, ah, a spaghetti western, where the movie's not complete until you can hear the very clearly dubbed-in audio. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I really enjoy the movie. I find I find the, um, I, the, the character is badass. The story I find very interesting and compelling. Um... I find the it's hard to say action because I mean it's pretty tame for a quote unquote action movie if you were to say but um, I I was talking with a guy at work about we were doing this movie for the show this week and I was like you know I'm not the biggest western fan and it's not because I think they're bad I just really haven't seen that many and I was like but the westerns I have seen are all really good westerns so I'm not saying I'm a Western guy, but I do like the Westerns I've seen a lot. I give this a full pan. Okay. With so sprinkles. L- okay. <laughs> so a little bit of context for for me. I, I'm also admittedly not the most versed with, uh, with Western films. Um, I mean, I can list off a, a handful I have seen. Like, I've seen... True Grit, No Country for Old Men. Uh, Did you see the remake of True Grit or the original True Grit? I've only seen the uh, the remake. I haven't seen the... I've the, only seen the remake, too, and I thought it was pretty good. Um, I mean, most of these are just recent ones, like uh, Hell or High Water, Hostels. Um, I've seen... Uh, oh, Bone Tomahawk. Bone Tomahawk is a great newer Western, but I mean, like, there's a lot of classics would I have. Would you consider Hidalgo a Western? Yeah, that's a yeah, that's a western with Viggo okay, Mortensen. Okay, Hidalgo. Okay, that's pretty entertaining. Yeah. Talk about a movie. Talk about a movie. I remember the like advertising, and like the huge push for that movie, and then it came out, and for a movie that wasn't outright terrible, it just dropped off the face of the planet. A yeah, I hardly remember a damn thing about that other than Viggo Mortensen was in it. <laughs> 
I mean, admittedly, I haven't seen it, but, um, but yeah, no, there's a, there's a lot of Westerns, like classics I haven't seen. Like I, I haven't seen the searchers. I haven't seen tunes, tombstone. I haven't seen, uh, unforgiven or open range. Like there's a lot of Westerns. I'm embarrassed to say I haven't seen, but, um, so that was a little bit of an interesting kind of, uh, way to come into this. Like the, this being more or less, no pun intended, like the godfather of the spaghetti Westerns, which, which really, I mean, Nick, do you know what that really means? Like what it is to be a spaghetti Western? It's just a Western movie done by an Italian guy. I, I, yeah, more or less. <laughs> it was really fascinating reading about this um, afterwards. Like, it's not like our last movie where I needed to do a bunch of homework to understand what I just sat through. But really, like, in my history classes in, in film school, it was more about, like, the, the golden age of, like, L.A. and straight-up United States Hollywood. It wasn't really about this specific subgenre, so reading about how Sergio was like inspired by Kurosawa and what he did by uh, adding kind of Japanese flair to the Western formula. Sergio has his specific uh, visual style to which he made movies before this, but then just added Western into it. Like he just took his style and just wanted to make a Western genre film. So it's place in history. I think is a bigger deal than what the actual movie is. Not to really diminish the movie itself, I, I love, I love this as it is. Like I've, I can't say that I haven't seen like uh, other projects that do this. I think personally a little better. Uh, like the whole conceit well, of you samurai. Have to think about like, the time frame that it came out too. Like, well, yeah, no, I'm just. It's kind of like where I'm coming from with Star Wars, where like I don't think Star Wars: A New Hope is. Well, it's 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 like what I said with Cuckoo's Nest last week, where it's like I have seen movies have something more to say than this movie, but the fact that this movie came first and laid the groundwork for saying what this movie's saying, it it kind of gets the credit for saying a lot because of the time it came out. Well, no, absolutely, this movie does deserve again, like its place <clears throat> oh, God, in history. <laughs> it deserves its place in history for what it does. Like, there's a lot of there's a lot of really great action in this. I think. I love the acting in it, like, uh, especially, like, all the supporting cast between the two families. I think there's a lot of great interplay between them. It's kind of great that Clint Eastwood, like, is the star of this, but, like, he's really just kind of that morally ambiguous kind of, uh, kind of pulling the strings between, like, the two families to end up getting what he wants, just, like, money, but then he also, like, oh, well... The city's safe, but I got my money anyway. Like, <laughs> I kind of like that moral gray of his character Mor itself. Moral ambiguity just for the sake of money. Yeah, I, I love that aspect of his character. He doesn't really care about anything other than money, and then maybe he cares about the woman because it's a maternal figure, and, like, you kind of can't. And, and the kid. Yeah, yeah, and the kid, too. Um, But no, like, I, like I'm saying, like, it's... I'm still giving this movie sprinkles. I still think this is an excellent, excellent movie. But I, I mean, if I'm being honest, like I, it's, it's not one I'm really dying to like watch again. Like I, there's just call it a personal quirk. There's other westerns I'd rather watch again. Like I'd argue Logan. Like the one next week. Well, I, I do want to see He's the rest of, the end of the episode a little early. I do want to watch the rest of this trilogy for sure. Um, especially because I've heard the other two movies are even more violent than this one. But uh. <laughs> you know i mean i just i dan sees the violence in these movies and you just hear from under his desk 
well, okay, we can talk about that. The violence in this movie is pretty impressive given its time frame. But I mean, what I'm trying to say, like, I, I don't put this above uh, my personal affection for like I know it's a TV show, but like Samurai Jack, which is yes, yeah, a sci-fi western, uh, nitpicky. I, it, it's still an excellent western at the end of the day. Or, or even Logan. Like, yeah, Logan is an X-Men movie, but at its core, it's it's a western do. Like, um. But I mean, I'll, I'll get off my high horse and stop more or less pooing on this <laughs> well, movie, even though I'm not horse trying and get to get on a mule. <laughs> I'll get off my ass and uh, <laughs> I'm not trying to I'm not trying to make it sound like I'm pooing on this movie as much as it sounds like. I do think this is a genuinely good movie and it it, it rightfully earns the, the throne that it sits on as the 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 king of the spaghetti Western subgenre. It really is an excellent movie, guys. Um. And yeah, it's on Amazon Prime as of this taping if you want to watch it along, if you haven't yet and want to still listen to us. So, um, Nick, I mean, what's uh, what's something that really stood out to you? Where do you want to start with us kind of dissecting this? Let's start at the beginning. Um, no, I, I do want to say, uh, before I forget, uh, just looking at some of my notes, I did not take very many notes past the first 20 minutes, like... My my notes I really want to point out are the most badass line in the movie is when he's walking to the guys that were shooting at his mule's feet when he rode into town, and he looks at the guy that work that makes the coffins and he goes get three coffins already, and he walks by and he kills all four of them, and he walks he walks back and he's like my mistake make it four coffins. My note was the balls on this guy. I was not a. Sp- expecting a line like that in a movie this old that was just so like i don't know there was there was a level of humor in that that was so kind of blue and kind of morbid that i just like oh my god this movie's from the mid 60s and he said that like yeah (laughs) i love that too i thought that was great well i you know just talking about you know his name like it's the man with no name trilogy his name's never said we know virtually nothing about this guy we don't well, know the where guy, he came from the coffin maker calls him joe a handful of times yeah he gets called blondie in uh uh the good the bad and the ugly uh but his his name they never give him a name um, i love that though i love that that adds to the level of mystique of just like um He's he's not a bounty hunter, but I, I, I read a little bit of an interview with Sergio that called he's, him the bounty hunter. He's he basically is just like a force to be reckoned with and he just shows up. We don't find anything about his history. We don't find out about any affiliations he has with anything. We don't find out uh what his goal in life is. We don't find out why he's coming to town. We don't find out where he's going once he leaves town. We don't find anything out other than he's just like, yeah, all right, I'll do it for the money so I can just keep going. He's he's just he's just walking death and justice. He's walking dustus. See, that's what's that's something that I think is really groundbreaking is that yeah, your poster child, your main character, quote unquote it just kind of is there. He doesn't get as much screen time. He doesn't get as many lines, but he is as critical to the forward momentum of the story and the, the, the cause which makes the effect and the consequence of everything that happens in this movie. And you identify and watch the story through him, even though it's really him caught. Well, in this case, literally in between 
the two families of this uh of this town that like are just ruling this town but in like a perpetual civil war with each other but the fact that yeah he just stumbles upon this matter of factly and we don't get anything outside of that that's when you know you have a hell of a good story is that when you completely forget and don't care that we actually don't know anything about this main character but you're still going along with it anyway well that's the other thing that's funny is the lack of character development is actually what's great about the movie <laughs> well yeah i mean as like, rare as that's ever said uh, <laughs> yeah like we know nothing about this guy and it's the best decision this movie makes well yeah it's it's what it's 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 a tightrope walk that is so hard to pull off and that can really only be pulled off in the western or a movie in the style of the western like I, I'm probably gonna mention Logan a couple more times, but I'm super I'm I'm super tempted to just have us skip all the way to Logan and see if you can draw any parallels between that and this movie without really having well, you've seen some X-Men movies, but not really caring about them. Like if you can get drawn into it like you were with this movie. Like if you could see any of the same elements that you would see in a normal Western. Well I I think this story concept would work really well. Obviously, it did because of Toho suing him, and like a ninja movie. Oh yeah, well, samurai. Let's be let's be <laughs> let's be samurai, sensitive. Sorry, it's a samurai sorry. movie. Yeah, Akira Kurosawa. No, I thought I thought it was a ninja movie. I was just saying, but I just in yeah, in no, no, that, no. Like, yeah. In that movie style, like you you can't have a non-genre specific movie where your main protagonist has no character development, and it works. It's got to be genre specific. It's got to be something where the lone wolf, lone warrior, by themselves personality type thrives. That doesn't work in like a romantic. Can you imagine a romantic comedy where we knew nothing about one of the characters? Oh, Jesus Christ. (laughs) That would actually be a really funny experiment. He comes into into town and he's like murdering people and he's like, the bank teller is beautiful. And then they have like a love story and then yeah yeah that's what Ugh. ew well bless you <laughs> that tasted terrible I was gonna say we see somebody like hold up the boom box like and say anything and then it's just like oh he's playing the music for me but really he's just like pulling it just back behind his head to smash it over somebody <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the question, I, one of the questions I have for you is, I have said I like uh, Ennio Morricone's music a lot, um, and I've been on record saying how much I love the Ecstasy of Gold. Now that mm-hmm. song's not in this movie, but do you like his music? What did you think of the music in this? I liked it. I did. I did like it. I don't know if it's like up there as one of my favorite scores, but I think in isolation, like. Whenever it was really heavy on the trumpets, like, in between showdowns, I think that was when it was most effective for me. Um, not to say that the main title sequence wasn't, was bad. Like, I really like the kind of, I miss having opening title sequences like that, where, like, it's got the animation and it's got the lively music and you just hear the, and the, the guy singing with it too. Dude, it sounded, it sounded like a bird call kept going off in the song. You, yeah, you only see things like that, like, literally in James Bond now. Like, uh, even for the show, I think the only time we've seen it besides this movie was Catch Me If You Can, because it was paying homage to, like, yeah. those yeah. late 50s, early 60s movies. 
And well, what's funny is, so I, I like I've said, I really like Ennio Morricone or Morricone. Have you pronounced his name? Oh yeah, he's and, no, no, he's definitely one of the best uh, composers that the industry has ever had for sure. And listening to this, I here's the thing: I really like the music. Knowing how much his music gets better, I'm like, hey, come on, man! Like this isn't your A game, but it's really good. Uh, it's one of those things too where I so. Because Did you think there was I a little watched... too much flute? I, If I have one no. massive criticism, I, I don't know. I got a little... I was like, uh, this is a lot of flute. This seems kind of odd. No. I, I loved it. But to me, <laughs> to me, because I watched Cinema Snob, the, the, the two spaghetti genres I know are Westerns uh, and... Well, I barely know Westerns, but... Uh, uh, spaghetti horror movies like zombie movies spaghetti horror please Dude, tell please is, tell me what he listed as like spaghetti horror of italian horror movies well it's not called spaghetti horror it's like italian horror whatever it's just like giallo movies and stuff like that um I've n- i don't think i've ever seen an italian in- specific horror movie before that's interesting i got some cinema snob episodes to send you um but because of that genre, I know that a lot of the Italian-made movies, like one of the big complaints, like the Italian like westerns and stuff, the big complaint in those movies can be that the music gets overbearing due to poor sound mixing and then trying to be too epic. And it's amazing that this movie doesn't have that. But, yeah, I've got to send you some stuff. There are instances where the music in in like this and the uh, Italian horror genre, the music can get overbearing. Where it's like we're trying to be too grand. Can you dial it back? That is funny. I I I was uh, I was going over the trivia before we started taping, and Sergio actually worked with uh, Marconi, and he composed a lot of this music before the movie came. Or the before the movie uh, was filmed, which is bizarre because usually you film the movie and then the composer watches the footage, the dailies, or a rough assembly, and then kind of composes the movie, the movie's music around that. But in this case, Sergio just loved Marconi's music so much he just would describe the movie, and Marconi would create compositions, and Sergio would shoot and edit the movie around the already pre-made music. So. Um, so that's why a lot of the pacing in this movie is kind of spaced out because Sergio didn't want to cut any of the music. Like the music was already so long. He was like, okay, I can only cut when the song ends here instead of forcing a cut here. Like, I don't know. He was just so in love with the music that really influenced a lot of the editing in the movie, which I thought was pretty fascinating because that's not how you make movies now, you know? (laughs) (laughs) It's like making a, making a line of toys and then making the movie. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Schumacher burn. <laughs> what did you think of the uh Imagine if Schumacher made this western? Oh, you, no. I'm I'm glad Schumacher you never see, made a western. You could, you could just all the, There's like neon lights like those weren't even around and then you can see their nipples through their shirts. Oh god, no. I no. That's I'm glad that will never exist. Rest in peace Schumacher. Um <laughs> What did you think of some of the What sh- killed the dinosaurs? The Sand Age. Oh, I thought you were going to say, My six shooter! 
<laughs> he killed every dinosaur in the world yeah. with six bullets. <laughs> he just, well, just like Clint Eastwood, he just whipped it out and just with the back of his hand, boom, 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 boom. <laughs> I, look, I know, I know that people have pointed out in, in the past too that like Westerns are incredibly unrealistic for like how like it's you it's really hard to fire from the hip that rapid fire and hit all those targets to kill them um and that the exaggerated like oh my god he got shot and he felt he jumped back through a wind or he got thrown back through a window because he got shot with a bullet um stuff like that but it's just so it's so badass i will give it a pass it really works in this movie i agree i i mean some of the it's dated because of some of the reactions, like I kind of really laughed when, uh, when the stagecoach got shot up at the river and the guys were running up the hill and they like reached back. They didn't say this, but they reached back to their backs, just like ah, my spine, and then they fell over. Like <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny. My, my my spine. I'm not supposed to get bullets in it. Yeah. <laughs> there was some menace in that sequence, though. Like. A point of view from the machine gun? That had to have been very inventive that, that's back not, in the day. That's not, a machine, that's not a machine gun. That's a Gatling gun. Oh, my God. Point of view of that high caliber of a gun, though, that that had to have been pretty inventive for back in the 60s. Like, Well, it, it makes me think of um, the beach scene in uh, Saving Private Ryan when they show the MG42s in the machine gun nest firing at the people coming off the li- landing craft on D-Day. Oh, right, yeah, there's... Yeah, like, that that shot matches perfectly. Oh, yeah, there's no way. Like, when I saw that shot, I mean, I didn't think of that directly, but you saying that now, I I wouldn't be surprised if Spielberg pulled influence from Sergio for that shot. Um, And then also when the one soldier rides off on the the horse, but then, uh, I forgot the the brother's name, but then when he shoots him, like, 50 yards away uh, in the river... Is it Ramon? What? Is it Ramon or Chico? Uh, I think it was Ramon. I got the cast list. Uh, or no, I'll pull the cast list up here. They were, uh, they were the. What were the names of the two families? It was the Rojo family and the, the Rojos, and I don't remember the name of the other family. Okay. Um. Oh, Ramon. That yeah, Ramon was the guy that shot the guy at the river. Yeah, Ramon was like the evilest out of all of them. And then there was Esteban, and then uh, Don Benito. Which which one was the guy that had that really like hyena laugh? Uh, I don't remember. Late, late in the movie, there's several instances of them. Um, there's like one scene where it's the guy that ends up getting shot at the very end of the movie and he falls out the window because he sticks the barrels of the shotgun out the window. And then, uh, uh, as Clint Eastwood's walking, he's going to shoot him. And then the, uh, oh, um, that wasn't bartender shoots him. Or that wasn't Ramon. Ramon was the one that he fought at the well. I think that was Esteban. Okay. That guy's laugh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm looking at a photo of him now. Yeah, it was Esteban. That guy's laugh, the entire movie. Like, once he started doing that laugh, I was like, my God, I just want you to get shot. (laughs) Um, I'm trying to, uh, just because I don't want to keep ignoring the names of the other family. Uh, It was the Baxters. That was it. The Baxters and the Rojos. Man, they got like not a cool name. <laughs> you got the Ro- <laughs> the Rojos and Baxters. It's the Rojo and Tucker. <laughs> it's the it's the Rojo and Miss Piggy. 
It's the Kervits and the Rojos. <laughs> oh my god. And he's just sitting there playing his banjo and he gets shot and, and then someone just like inserts the shot of him going, yay! Except uh, they don't have him going yay and he's just getting filled with bullet holes. <laughs> waka waka! Boom! <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for killing your childhood people. Um, <laughs> Can we talk so... about the cinematography in this movie? Like more about that? Like how yeah. ridiculously beautiful the close-ups are. Um, so where did you? Okay, where did you watch this? Did you watch I, it on Amazon? Yeah, I watched this on Amazon on my fifty-five-inch TV. So I I own the I own the Blu-ray, obviously, of it, and it's why we picked it for the uh, review. But um, it was not. This is not an instance like with Sleepaway Camp, where they did a two K upscale of it. It's just a regular like HD Blu-ray conversion. And it's one of those things where just like watching the movie, I'm like, my God, I like it. it it's it's similar to, um, what was the motorcycle movie I hated? The motorcycle movie you hated. Jack Nicholson was in it. Oh, Easy Rider. Yeah, Easy Rider. It's one of those ones where I'm like, man, like it looks fantastic. But it's one of those ones where it's like, man, I can only imagine how good this would look had it been filmed using modern camera technology. Like how vibrant the colors would be. It it probably honestly it probably looked a lot like Breaking Bad. Well, the color the color of it, um, I I did stumble a little bit on. Like there is a specific color palette that Sergio was using for this movie to keep it kind of keep it kind of muddy, keep it dirty. Like he didn't want this movie to look particularly like clean. Like he wanted this to be like a, 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 a dirty, nasty war torn well, kind of look to this movies, movie. Movies like this are what gave inspiration to star Wars because star Wars is, is very famous for how well it look or how good it looks because it looks so lived in. This movie looks incredibly lived in. Yeah, absolutely. Like, especially for how small the set is. Like, literally, this is set almost exclusively in two buildings and one street. Like, <laughs> it's it's two, there's two buildings you go in, and there's four buildings total. Oh, and then the river. Like when we go to the like, the stagecoach in the river. Yeah. Like the t the town consists of the two warring gangs, and then a guy that makes coffins and a guy that owns a bar. Yeah, but it's it works so well. Like. Not so much the sets, like going to, going back to uh, or getting off the cinematography because uh, the characters themselves, like there's there is such detail given to know every single person, and really it works to the script's benefit that all we need is for Clint Eastwood to be in the same room and be quiet, and Sergio and the other screenwriters, they don't just create archetypes or just like mouthpieces that say cliched exposition that we've heard a million times like we get to understand like the rojo family a little bit and the hierarchy with the three brothers and then we get to hear about the baxters and like how it's really the matriarch that runs their whole family but the rojos are in our way and then the rojos are like well the baxters are in our way they got chocolate in my peanut butter like <laughs> they it's <laughs> that they, they got their chocolate in my peanut butter so let me get their lead in their torso yeah <laughs> Like it was really interesting. Like it was, there was a surprising amount of detail in that. Death. You just huh? missed my great joke. Yeah, no, the the belly full of lead. Yeah, I was. No, 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 no. It's Reese's. It's candy or death. 
<laughs> oh, that was a good one. Um, Reese's, if you want someone to join your marketing department, call me. Yes. Um. Um, <laughs> speaking, speaking of Clint Eastwood sitting there quietly, Clint Eastwood, I, okay, so I've seen a decent chunk of his movies. I've not seen all of them. I wouldn't even say I've seen half of them, but I have seen several of his movies. We've only done The Mule, or not The Mule. We've only no, done Richard Jewell. we didn't even Jewel. do The Mule on here. We did Richard yeah. Jewell. Yeah, that's the, but... only Clint East- that's the only Clint Eastwood movie we've done for the show, isn't it? I'm not, I'm like 98% sure it's yes. I'm not 100% positive. I'm pretty sure that it is yes. But yeah. in terms of movie, of him being in movies, other than Trouble with the Curve, um, he is very good at playing a super intimidating person. Like, well, this was his bread and butter. Like, a good third of his resume, if not a quarter of his resume, is just westerns like this, like in Outlaw Lo- Josie Wales and Unforgiven. And this was his bread and butter, like, all the way until the 80s. He's the boss you never want to let down. Like, <laughs> it's not because he'll scream at you and, and, like, rip you a new one. He's just going to sit there and be like, You might die today. Do you feel lucky, punk? And yes, oh I know God, that's a Dirty Harry you, reference. So you, Calm down. <laughs> have you seen? Have that's actually a, I have all four of the Dirty Harry movies. Yeah, I have a collection. Yeah, I got a I got a DVD box set of all the Dirty Harry films too. So so you've seen Dirty Harry then, right? Uh truth be told, I've only watched the first two. <laughs> I never I've finished. Seen, I never finished the whole box set. I've only seen the first two. I've seen I've seen Dirty Harry and I don't remember the name of it, but it's the one where he's training a bunch of new recruits and then it turns out they're criminals. Um, I don't remember the name of it, but uh, there's I love, well, hold on. There's uh, I have it right here. Dirty Harry, the Enforcer, Sudden Impact and Magnum Force. Yeah, I, I think it was Magnum Force. Um, that's but, sa- that sounds right. I'm not 100 percent sure, though. I barely remember the second one. I it. It guest stars Danny DeVito, and he's like, hey, I got a Magnum condom for my Magnum Dom. <laughs> and Clint Eastwood's just like, that's a force. Um, But so Clint Eastwood in Dirty Harry, that line, do you feel, did he fire five shots or six? Well, to tell you the truth and all the excitement, I lost count myself. But you got to ask yourself one question. Do you feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? That line, so I, I don't know if you consider this a spoiler that movie's like 40 years old. Uh, um, try like almost 60. <laughs> yeah, whatever. So at the end of the movie, when he finds the killer, he says the same thing to him. And Clint, it's like like the best Clint Eastwood ever because you can see how much he just wants to kill this guy. And he's like, please move for the gun so I can try and shoot you. And the guy makes a movement for his gun and he shoots him in the chest. Oh, dude, see, moments like that make Dirty Harry so memorable and why I don't remember a damn thing of the second one. Like, I can't honestly remember which title was the second one anymore. <laughs> well, it's it's funny because in The Mule, he plays a not intimidating guy. <laughs> and it's like, Clint, I get that you're old and frail, but at the same time, we've spent our whole lives being scared of you. Well... I mean, to be fair, he did the most boring treatment of making a movie about a drug mule I've ever seen. I was bored to tears watching The Mule. You've seen Gran Torino, right? Oh, you want to talk about a Clint Eastwood masterpiece? Yes, Gran Torino is amazing. That's a great movie. Get off my lawn. 
Oh the part God. where he starts talking to him and he's like, we used to stack, we used to kill people like you and then stack their bodies five high and use them as sandbags to block the bullets. It's like, you are saying that to teenagers. I just asked you if you wanted some lemonade, sir. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, uh, no, I, I love Grain Torino. That'd be a great movie to do for the show. I would love to rewatch that again for this. Yeah. So getting back, getting back to the Clint Eastwood movie we did watch for the show. Yeah, not um, a whole Clint Eastwood retrospective. <laughs> but well, it kind of is. It's it's amazing to see how he went through life typecast as this actor and continues to pull it off flawlessly. Yeah, I'd argue the Mule's not, but yeah, throughout but his no, career. No, 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 no. The yeah. Mule, the Mule is not this kind of character. Yeah. The mule is not an intimidating loner. The mule is a really nice, frail old guy who's trying to do white by his family, and he falls on hard times, and he needs money. It's Walter White. Yeah. I think that's making it sound better than it is, but this is not a mule review. I'm sorry I kind of detracted to the main point that you were trying to make. <laughs> um, but what I'm getting at is just when he does the scary, terrifying loner, He's incredible at it, whether he's in his 30s, like in this movie, or six feet away from a coffin, like in his later movies. Right. How many have you seen, like sticking to like his Westerns? Have you seen Outlaw, Josie Wales or Unforgiven? Uh, I did not. I haven't seen Unforgiven. I have seen the Outlaw Josie Wales, but it was a very long time ago. I was really young. Okay, I Another secret shame with Yujimbo. I haven't seen either of those either. But like my, I said, I haven't dad, seen a lot of westerns. My dad really likes the Outlaw Josie Wales, so okay. I know I know he showed it to me when I was younger. Well, he, it's not so. So he grew up with. Um, obviously, he grew up with my grandma, and grandpa, his parents. But um, you met my grandma. Uh, you've met her before the wedding, but you met her at the wedding. Her favorite. Oh right, actor, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember her. Her her favorite actor is John Wayne. Uh, and her and my grandpa, for years, the only movies they would watch are westerns. So my dad saw a lot of westerns growing up, and he, I mean, he saw a ton of them. So oh yeah, I mean, he, I mean, John really, Wayne, John Wayne was in the original True Grit. Yeah. So he actually, my dad, I told him, I was like, I, I really want to see True Grit because I think I've said on here before. Uh, Jeff Bridges is an actor that I really like. If I see he's tied to a movie, like the second Tron is probably the best instance. I'd never seen the first Tron, and I was like, eh, that movie looked kind of interesting. And they're like, it's got Jeff Bridges. And I was like, I need to go see this movie. <laughs> Jeff Bridges, if Jeff Bridges is put into a movie, I immediately like want to see the movie twice as bad. Would you say he's your... Your your screen man crush like me and Jake Gyllenhaal. No, my 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 screen man crush is Ryan Gosling. Oh, but, okay. <laughs> uh, but in terms of like an actor who I, I I like him, I like how he performs so much that I just immediately go. If all else fails, I will find him entertaining. It's Jeff Bridges. So my He's dad, I literally I told, never let you down. No, he has. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. Oh, no, he, he was terrible in that one movie. <laughs> when he no, when he works, it's amazing. So but I remember my dad, I told him I want to go see True Grit. And he goes, oh, I remember seeing that when I was younger. I want to go see it because I want to see if it's as good as the other one. Um, but 
Yeah. So my, but uh, back to the point. Uh, yeah, I've seen I've seen Josie Wales because I remember my dad showed me it when I was I was pretty young. Like I think I might have still been in elementary school. My my dad owns a uh, a Blu-ray or either a Blu-ray or a DVD copy of Josie Wales. I think. Oh, okay. I was just I was just looking uh, if Crazy Heart, the movie he won an Oscar for, was uh, was streaming because I was going to add that to the watch list. Oh, uh, okay. You haven't um, you haven't seen Crazy Heart, right? No, and I I feel bad because that's actually one I wanted to see and I just never saw it. Oh well, um, I I have it either if it makes you feel better. Uh. So, <laughs> if if you were to take the because since we're gonna do uh, um kind of spoiler alert for the outro, the movie I'm picking next week is for a few dollars more, uh, which is the sequel. I think we've insinuated enough that we're going to go through the whole trilogy. I don't think that's necessarily row, the yeah. biggest spoiler. <laughs> but so with with neither of us really having seen that movie. Where would you take this afterward? Dude, it's wide open. That's something I want to note that, like, is really brilliant about this, too, is that it's so insular. Like, there's no... I'd be I'd be hard-pressed to believe any way that it another movie would connect to the to the first film like and i well, i mean spoiler i know what the basic premise of the next two films are and literally none of them have they have they have no connection other than it's clint eastwood's character from these movies yeah so i mean like maybe my answer is a little loaded because i already know they don't well but... it's it's interesting because to throw out another franchise that keeps having sequels that are barely related to the other movies fast and the furious oh i um, thought you were gonna say kathleen kennedy's new star wars <laughs> no <laughs> No, Fast and Furious. I mean, well, I take that back. Yeah, they do kind of undo a lot of stuff they did. But Fast and the Fast and the <laughs> Furious franchise, just f- for some reason, I don't remember what movie it is. I think it's I think it's eight. When they introduce Jason Statham, they're like, "He's my brother," and you kill you tried to kill my brother. He's in a hospital. He's in a hospital. I don't know why that's my Jason Statham impression, but he's in a <laughs> he hospital. He sounded bed closer because- to Asian than British. <laughs> <laughs> he's in a hospital bed because of you. And I'm going to have to kick your ass and kill you. Like, they like, to continue the story, they literally, they'll end movies where they just wipe out an entire gang, family, bloodline, like, hereditary gene pool. They just wipe it off the face of the planet. And then they go to the next movie and they're like, we got to find a way to get this to tie in. And I find (laughs) it so interesting that... This movie does such a good job of just there is no way it could tie in to the first movie in any other way other than to have the bartender, the coffin maker, and uh, Clint Eastwood's character. Here's a pro tip for anybody writing a franchise, and I'll yell it for the people in the back. All you need is the same main character... You can completely bake up the story from there. Also, if you want me to do a Jason Statham voiceover for your movie, <laughs> listen to my demo reel and give me a call. <laughs> but, okay, so so that being said, what would you do in the sequel? Dude, I have, I man, I, I have no idea, really. Like, I... If I had to, like, if they said, like, it had to tie into the first film, I would make it, like, kind of, uh, I would keep it with the Rojo family, probably, because they seem more of, like, 
maybe because we got to know them a little bit more and it felt like that if I were to guess which one family would go after him, if not both of them, it would be the Rojo family. Like one mm. of their cousins happened to come by and see the town was just abandoned more or less. So you'd introduce Jason Statham. Sure. If he, <laughs> if he played him, I, cause <laughs> I don't, I really don't know. I like, I, I don't, I don't know. I'm not really a writer. I, I honestly have no idea what I would do. I, like, especially with a wide open door, like what they did with the other movies. I have a general idea of what I would do. Okay. And I'm not but... saying I'm not saying if the movie doesn't do this that it's that I think it's terrible. This is just like if someone went, "Okay, you watch this movie, where would you go from here?" I would have him continue moving out west and get to California. You wouldn't have and... him go you wouldn't have him like stay in Mexico or on that no. side of the border? No, I'd have him continue going out west and I'd have him get to California and I'd have him get there during the gold rush. And I would have him get into like this area for people that were uh, doing the gold rush, and he, you know, he'd be a pan, um, panhandler, I guess. He'd he'd be he'd be mining for gold or panning for gold or whatever it's called. You're the San Francisco 49ers fan. You would know what I'm talking what I'm talking about. Yeah, you're um, just you're 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 sifting a pan in the water looking for gold. Yeah, you're a panhandler technically. So I would have him get there. He starts doing that, and then this big company is moving in and they're like, Hey, we're going to take over the gold mining operations. And they start either forcing people out of doing this line of work or they recruit them and get them. Like you always heard about like, uh, sold my soul to the general store songs where like coal mining towns, they, the coal company would, make yeah. their own money <laughs> and then you'd work I for the saw, coal company and then to buy stuff. I saw that used in the South Park episode that made fun of Amazon where like Butter's yeah. dad was in the carpool and then he's at work and it was just going like, 16 tons. What do you get? But it's all it's all with him working at Amazon. <laughs> yeah. So I would I would have a similar situation to that where that or the, if they go to the company they work and so it's about people that are trying to keep their freedoms and move along. And he and they're like, well, we got to get rid of this company. And Clint Eastwood's character will do whatever pays him the most due to moral ambiguity. And he's helping these innocent people that can't fight back against this corporation fight back against this corporation. And they kill them all and push them back. And then the people are saved and he gets a bunch of gold money. And then he rides off into the sunset to go do something else. You know how many people would call you a liberal pariah if you made that now, like in twenty nine or twenty twenty. <laughs> yeah, just I'm not I'm not trying to make a statement on big business. I'm just trying to say they're like, oh yeah, no, I can't. I, 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 I am people out, and then it's and then it's the West, and how are and how are problems solved with lead? Like I was I was joking, kind of hoping that you would have a pause and just be like. Yeah, I got other ideas too. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not trying I'm not trying to make a statement. I'm just trying to make something entertaining. Yeah, no, I'm just I'm just busting your chops. I like I'm, that idea though. I'm that not, is I'm that is a Charlie, very I'm not That is a universally I'm timely Charlie, idea though. I'm not Charlie Kaufman. I'm not deep and so deep up my own ass that I can start to smell my own breath. I was gonna say that's more like a Upton Sinclair in the in the jungle, except there's the uprising is the story. It's not the end of the book. Uh, <laughs> 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 um, but uh, but no, tying back into this, I mean, I 
But yeah, Listeners, just to be cl- just to be clear, I'm not trying to make a socio-political statement. I'm just trying to make an entertaining movie. Yes, yes, I busting your chops. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I feel bad that like I mean we have talked about the movie. I'm not saying we haven't, but like I I don't know. I'm trying to think of I other think things. We've to... talked about it. I mean, we haven't done a plot point by plot point breakdown, no. But we've talked about the impact the movies had, the stuff we really liked in the movie, and then yeah. also uh, the work that went into it and the and the impact it's had on life and what we would do if we were to continue the series. I mean, we have talked about it. Okay, so yeah, I guess I'm just weirded out by the fact that we haven't done a plot by plot breakdown. But I mean, no, it's it's one of those movies where like the just. It's like we went to a museum and we're like just dissecting the piece of art. Like it's, I don't know. Like I said, I, at face value, I mean, it's without the historical context, it's just another Western. I'm not particularly that blown away by it, even though there are really well done elements of it. But I mean, the fact that this was the, this was the start of a whole new subgenre. I mean, that you kind of can't not appreciate it. Like, I mean, I, I think at face value, this is better than Star Wars. Like, like I did in the bonus reviews, I don't think Star Wars without the historical context is that great a movie. But I get where its place in history is. So, I mean, when take you that say at, Star Wars, are you saying are you saying a New Hope <clears throat> or all the original trilogy? Oh no no no! Strictly a New Hope. I so okay. I mean I guess what I'm trying to say is is I like this more than Star Wars. I guess. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> whatever that. Whatever. Can you imagine? Can you imagine, like, if in the middle of a gunfight, some guy just pulls out a stick and it lights up, and he's like, bang, bang, oh, I'm dead. Oh, dude. No, it would have to be, it would have to be Battle of Heroes from Episode 3, because that's the best piece of music John Williams ever wrote for Star Wars, in my opinion. That's such an emotional song. I thought you were gonna, I thought you were gonna say, you are so wrong. <laughs> no, that's such an emotionally powerful song. Oh, like dude. as as flawed yeah. as episode three, I can't even remember if we brought this up. As flawed as the prequels are, and as flawed as the uh, episode three is, you can't take away how emotionally powerful the music is in that movie. I a hundred percent said that John Williams wrote the best music for Star Wars in that movie, if nothing else. <laughs> and that means you agree. <laughs> yes. Sweet. Um, Who would you then... cast? Oh yeah. That was what I was kind of going to segue into also. Um. <laughs> Who would you cast Nicolas Cage to be and why? I would... I would want to cast him as... Um, oh, uh, what was his name? Esteban? Whatever the uh, the one that came in on the stagecoach kind of later into the movie. Uh, oh, Ramon. Sorry. Not, Este- not Esteban. Uh, I would want him to, to be Ramon. I think Nick Cage is like really the most menacing out of all the brothers like and really like the one pulling the strings over the 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 father like uh i don't know i really think that in that pink button-up shirt i think nicholas cage could have been a really awesome villain in this do you want to think i'm a complete idiot uh what's your pick is it the woman i swear to god if you say the woman it's the child Oh, Jesus Christ. Just because the child is constantly running and screaming and crying and getting kicked, I think it'd be hilarious. Dude, out of all the dubbing, the kids was the only one that I actually found distracting. Like, it took me a minute to get used to it because I was like, oh, oh, yeah, Dan, don't forget. This entire movie is dubbed except for Clint Eastwood. Just just, just get over it. It's going to be out of sync or it's going to sound weird. 
But whoever did the little kid was, I guarantee you, was not a little kid. It just did not sound like an authentic kid crying at all, in my opinion. I just like when he's crying. It's just just sitting there, and I was like, kid, calm down. Just calm down. Oh, my God. It was so over the top. It was just like, like, it upset me a little bit when in the first scene when they were, like, shooting at the kid, by the way. That's something you don't see in movies now. Uh. <laughs> I love the fact that the dad goes and gets the kid, gra- grabs his hand, and they walk nonchalantly back to their house. And the guys are still shooting at their feet, and they don't seem phased at all. Oh, my gosh. Nobody seems that phased when they're getting shot at, like, and the, they're obviously missing. Like, I like when the guy... This is America. I like when the guy was uh, getting shot at that was being the lookout, and then Clint Eastwood shot the door closed, and it just, like, cartoon, boom! Like, I'm surprised there wasn't a goofy cartoon the rico- sound effect. The ricochet sound effects in this movie are, are spot on. Oh, my gosh. I, like I was saying, I fully expected when the guy got hit in the head with the door for there to be just like a like a Flintstones like boom like and then he falls over. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, oh, in the cat, I do, that's my last note I want to say before we wrap this yeah. up. You remember the? Did you go back and listen to what I was talking about where the cat no, ran I out heard, of that? Room? I heard it. I heard it the first time. I remember I was like, "What the heck's up with the cat?" Oh my god, I laughed so hard at that because that was just like. It was like that cat snorted a line of coke and then Clint Eastwood came in and it was just like, Rah! it was like the most insane cat noise I ever heard in a movie. <laughs> that sounds like a podcast series, Cats on Coke. <laughs> so, Mr. Whiskers, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Whiskers, how are you doing? Great! I'm doing fantastic ones for dinner. <laughs> Let me lick my butthole. This catnip is so freaking good. <laughs> I got nothing else. <laughs> I don't either. I say we take a brief break for now. And then when we come back, listeners, we will let you know what we got coming up next week. We'll be right back. All right, everybody, that is it for this week's episode of Brandy Points. Thank you all so much for listening, as well as a big thank you to Isla Murphy and Fugay and my co-host Nick for the bumper music in between segments of the episode. Thank you so much, guys. So, next week. Fugay. There it is. <laughs> I may have missed the mark because I accidentally unplugged my headphones from my microphone. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> I had to plug it back in. <laughs> next week, listeners, we once again are not going back to the theaters which is okay because you do have an, a review of Tenet that you can listen to in the meantime if you have seen it in theaters Woo! otherwise guys we like I said will be staying home for our next reviews our first film is our Halloween special review yes we are finally going to watch a horror film in October for once uh <laughs> It's going Says to be the guy that didn't want to pick Christmas movies in December last year. I, okay, okay. I <laughs> We're going to finally watch the Samuel L. Jackson Schlockfest that is 2006's Snakes on a Plane. It is currently on Hulu listeners if you want to join us in watching this movie. 
I I know I've watched this at least once when I was in high school. I I'm I know I've seen it on TV with the horrible censoring and well. Infa- I have only seen the edited for TV version. Oh, <laughs> the infamous "I'm tired of these monkey fighting snakes." <laughs> but yes, we are going to be watching the completely uncut version, which is again on Hulu. I I'm personally super excited for it, not just because it's a Halloween movie that will actually come out on Halloween, but uh, I don't know. It's it looks like kind of well, schlocky fun, and we haven't had one of these like so bad it's good movies in a while, so uh, I'm kind of excited for it in that regard. But that does not mean we're not going to go into the time machine. Nick, let the listeners know where we're going to be going in the time machine this week. We're going to go to 1965 and see a few dollars more. If you didn't see that coming, just wait till next week's time machine pick. <laughs> yes, listeners, we are continuing our coverage of. The Dollars Trilogy, a.k.a. The Man With No Name Trilogy, a a few dollars more, uh, also titled For A Few Dollars More, or I'm not going to try to read the Italian title, but, uh, (laughs) yes. A shooty shooty bang a bang. (laughs) Forget the sauce explodes out of your chest. Yeah. But yes, this continues to star Clint Eastwood from director Sergio Leone. It is the second film of the spaghetti western trilogy that kind of created the subgenre. So we will be continuing that next week along with, once again, Snakes on a Plane. Nick, let the listeners know where they can reach out to us in the meantime. Facebook, Brownie Points Guide to Cinema. Instagram, Brownie underscore points underscore guide. And Twitter, at Brownie underscore cinema. But right now, Twitter's down, so, you know, maybe don't follow us there. Also, <laughs> Gmail, Guide to Cinema at gmail.com. Send us Brandy Bites ideas, whether they are countdown topics uh, or just in general topics you want us to discuss, movie trailers that you want us to go over, uh, movies you want to make sure that we review, whether they are new or old, uh, in theaters, time machine, or streaming. Also, make sure wherever you're listening to us on, leave us reviews. Uh, that really is the best way to help us grow, and so far we're not getting any, so we're glad to know you're listening. Yeah, good thing to let that out of the bag, but <laughs> <laughs> but yes, listeners, uh, we will always be in your ears here on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Anchor.com, Overcast, and all other major podcasting platforms. Please feel free to leave us reviews and let us know your feedback. And as always, light is at the end of the tunnel. Things are a little crazy over here right now, but we will be okay. Wear your mask. Wash your hands, open your ears and your hearts, and we will be okay. Once again, thank you all for listening to us. We will be back next week with a few dollars more and snakes on a plane. We will see you then. Next time that I have to list our uh, our social media platform things, I'm thinking about doing like when Peter Griffin did the joke about I can say the ABCs in like half a second. <laughs> Oh, I thought you were gonna. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say, "Yeah, we're available on Q, Q, another Q, the pound sign, and the Batman and symbol." The Batman symbol. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's Q Q, the number four, another Q, and the Batman symbol. <laughs> 
Oh my god, Peter, you got it all right except one letter. <laughs> <laughs> what if that actually was our email address? Was Q Q four another Q the Batman symbol at gmail.com? Oh my god, that'd be the best email address. If it was all like phonetically written out, that'd be the best. Yeah. <laughs> we failed you, audience. I'm sorry. Our apologies. <laughs> Some things we want to make sure that are very clear in our statements. You don't think he's suicidal. I don't think he's on acid. 